All right, we are rocking and a reeling. Are we casting? Rocking and a rolling. Casting pens. Bob Ryan. <laughs> I didn't pick up on what you're doing until the very end. <laughs> ba, ba, ba. That um, was uh, that was featured on the uh, classic 1990s piece of cinema, Surf Ninjas. I think I missed that one. Oh, that's a shame. Has Rob Schneider in Same. it? <laughs> Leslie Nielsen plays an evil samurai. Now, Leslie Nielsen, I can get on board with. Oh, it was a piece of garbage. Um, I have no doubt. Oh, yeah. You had Hot me, garbage. But, you, uh, you had me at a Rob Schneider. But I... I, I love I, Rob Schneider, but he does not make was, good movies. Oh, no. No, absolute dookie. Uh, I definitely watched it a bunch, though. It was during, right around the time where uh, Ninja Turtles and ninjas and kids and ninjas and kids being ninjas was... I feel like ninjas was a, cool like, thing. a big thing oh, in the absolutely. 90s. There was yeah. three ninjas, surf ninjas, Ninja Turtles... Double yeah. double dragon, yeah. That's right, Mortal Kombat. Yeah, everybody had ninjas. If yeah. your if your team didn't have a ninja on it, you might as well be dead. Yep, Ninja Gaiden is that a thing? Ninja Gaiden. Gaiden. Yes, Ninja Gaiden. Whoops. Ninja Gaiden. I don't know my things. That's fine. All right, you ready to do this? I am. I guess we're kind of already doing it. Let's do it for real, though. All right. Welcome everybody to episode number seventy-nine of the Goulet Pencast, where fountain pens are still a thing. I am Brian Goulet. And I am Drew Brown. And we're here from Goulet Pens. That looks painful, Drew. Uh, to deliver this casual and informal, tangential and extraneous, superfluous and extemporaneous fountain pen show, where we talk about what's going on at the Goulet Pen Company and in our fountain pen lives. In today's show, we're going to be talking about our first Grail pens, over-tightening pen caps, Twisby specifically, a deep dive on online retail marketplaces, and why... Pens vary in price so much on Amazon. Uh, what makes ink good? Why refillable rollerball pens hmm. aren't more popular? And we're going to spotlight the insanely cool Montegrappa James Bond 60th anniversary pen. And we got some other personal silliness that you're undoubtedly going to find in our pen cast. Let's start it all off with some feedback. All right, first things first, a few of you mentioned that we had some audio issues last week. Um, we're working on those. Uh, at first, we were having some issues with like slamming on the table and stands, mm. and now it seems... We fixed that. We mounted the mic so that it's not attached to yeah. the table, but what we determined is... 50% of us you, you, <laughs> are more prone to touching the microphone. There's little that can be done to stop Brian from screwing up his own audio... Uh, if subconsciously, if nothing else. Yeah, it's totally subconscious. I'm not trying to do it. I'm really no. not. Just, it's, it's right there. It's right in front of you. Like, there's nothing else around. You know in, like, those, like, crime shows where the criminal wakes up in the hospital and, like, their hands are, like, tied to the, the yeah. hospital bed? Of course. I think I need that. I think I need, like, my hands tied to the chair. I, don't, I, think I literally would, can't reach up and grab the mic. I think you would break them. I don't think that... A straight jacket or something. Like, I, I need to be physically restricted because... I clearly just can't help myself. We'll see. But I'll we'll try. See. I believe in you. I got a couple of like fidget toys over here that we're going to try, but I don't know if they're going to be just as noisy. So I we'll got like out. this cool little screwdriver tool thing that we use for like our tripods and stuff. And I also have a Rubik's Cube, which I'm like, it might be kind of clackety clackety. So I don't know. The Whatever. bottom line is we we know we know we care. <laughs> um, we're going to always make efforts to so have sorry. the audio be as good as it can be. But uh, also this is extemporaneous and superfluous so 
who who yeah. really who really cares? But we don't want this to be any more painful to listen. Yeah, to we don't want you to be bothered is. by it. But we're, um, we're really trying. We'll keep trying. Don't expect perfection, but uh, you know you can expect us to care. Yeah, we'll, we'll say that. Yeah. Um, all right. So feeding back to us first is Crimson three five one two four, and Crimson says the best ceiling pen. We talked about best ceiling pens last mm-hmm. week is by far the Twisby five eighties because mm-hmm. of their rubber O ring at the end of the section that gives the cap an airtight seal. I wouldn't recommend doing this, but I've personally left ink in one of my 580s for two whole years. Wow. Which was Diamine Oxford Blue. Okay. Picked it up after two years and it wrote perfectly. Mm. No hard starts. No ink clogged the feed. If you want a pen, you can leave ink in for two years and still be able to write with it wetly after being uncapped. 580 is the way to go. I've left. Two years um, is impressive. When the Eco, which was the Eco first came out. It's kind of the same kind of thing. Like it seals really well, yeah. just like the 580. I left Urban Emerald of Shavor in it for eight straight months. That's a shimmering ink. It's got lots of sheen. Now it's not like the highest maintenance ink, but it's definitely more than your average ink. Yes. Literally uncapped it and it wrote immediately. That is insane. After eight months of sitting there on my desk. That is pretty amazing. They and got some figured out. Um, I will say that I neglected to mention Esterbrook. Um, Esterbrook Estes have a cushion cap that yeah, um, lets them seal really well. Mm-hmm. And I was, uh, yeah, I should have definitely mentioned Esterbrook in that list. Yeah. I was just about to say the same thing, you know, Esterbrook. Is, yeah, yeah. Solid ones. Yeah. Cool. All right. And the next ones are all going to be feedback bits from you where Brian asked everybody, what do you do during the pen cast? And we got a great variety of people and <laughs> they awesome. are doing a bunch of things. There was yeah. a lot of people that said, yes, I do write. Yes, I do clean my pens. Mm-hmm. But even more of them just said, nope, I do this random thing. So okay. we're going to start here now. Right, game on. Um, Drez Doge, Doge, Dogi, uh says, I'm a dog groomer, so I'm cutting hair. I'm cutting hair whole a while. 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 I'm cutting hair while I listen to the cast. Whenever I get a corgi on my table, I think of Drew. Ah, nice. Brian strikes as a yellow lab or boxer guy. Easygoing, low maintenance, and outdoorsy. I was bitten by a boxer when I was a kid. Oh, my God. Oh, that was the dog that bit you? Oh. Yeah, one, I, of, one of the dogs. You're a pretty solid golden retriever, I think. I was attacked by a lot of animals when I was younger. Yeah. I had bad luck. You're not a pet guy. For, I mean, for good reason, a I guess. Yeah. A hamster. You haven't been. Bit. I like dogs. You haven't been. Okay. But like you don't want to own a dog. You I mean. You haven't had a lot of positive experiences with dogs. Most of what I hear from the people around our company is like, my dog is diarrhea and just ruined <laughs> my carpets this weekend. And I got no sleep because my cat was just vomiting every yeah, two hours I suppose, and I have to take know, him to the vet. And I'm like, yes, tell me about there all are of this. A, there are a lot tell of Tell me about all of these things. I, as much as our, <laughs> our dogs have cost me, though, I would not change a thing. They're absolutely oh, of course, worth it. Of course. No, I did have a um, a dog I would say growing up from the time I was in like seventh grade to late high school. I remember that dog. We had a dog. Yeah. Yeah. Her name was Jenga. Mm -hmm. And she was a border collie black lab mix. And she was too smart for her own good. A lot of energy. She had a lot of energy. She was a herding dog. So she just wanted to be herding all the time. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think I've told the story about the. The bologna, right? The fried bologna. We've talked about bologna from time to time, for sure. So so our dog, she was gaining weight, and we were putting her on a special food and like diet and all this kind of stuff. She was still gaining weight. Come to find out, she was going to our neighbor who lived behind us. He he was, you know, a bit of a redneck. Had a, had a beer fridge in his garage. She would go plop herself down in front of his beer fridge, and he would feed her bologna to get her to move <laughs> all, away from his beer fridge. 
So she held the beer fridge hostage yep. from this redneck who yep. persuaded her to leave mm-hmm. by way of bologna. Yep. So she's eating like fried bologna and like other who probably unspeakable things. Was it fried bologna? Probably. That's amazing. They, I know for a fact they fried bologna on a regular basis. <laughs> Have you ever had fried um, bologna? I've had fried bologna. I've had fried bologna. Absolutely. Never in my own house. It's, it's not bad. Oh, no. My, no mom, it's fine. my mom used to make fried bologna. I had a lot of bologna growing up. <laughs> that I did do. I was a fan of some bologna. <laughs> The stuff with like the red, the red ring, the red oh ring yeah, ring around it, and you peel like, that off, peel it off, and, and then there's like, the little bits on you get the, it. Yes. Get the little bits off the yes. red thing. Yeah. Oh, oh man, so disgusting. But oh, anyway, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> it so is. once we found that out, we were like, oh, okay, Django, you you win. You got us on this one. Nice. Anyway, very clever. Back clever to you. Girl. Back to you. Back to you. Um, MGS Shue. <laughs> I don't know. Um, this person says while they listen to the pencast, um, I'm working on an RC car transmission while oh. listening to this. I will be honest, I have fallen down the rabbit hole several times that, on YouTube. That is a rabbit looking hole. Looking at RC cars. Yeah. I have a friend of mine who went down the RC car rabbit hole with his son a couple mm-hmm. uh, years ago. And man, those things can move. They are so cool. Yeah. Well, like growing up, obviously, like I wanted an RC car, but the battery technology stuck. Right. Well, like are and, those like, RC cars really... and like the, the legit RC cars. Like, oh, yeah. You can get like gas power. Oh, yeah. And stuff. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, if he's yeah. talking about transmission, that's what he has. I guess so. Yeah. Wow. That's so cool. He or she, sorry. That um, so yeah, that that is one of those things. Like picture you're at like an amusement park in like some ride where you're just like looking through like a little submarine window and you're is that bothering you? It wasn't oh okay. They weren't going straight down. Oh yeah, don't don't okay. come on. Oh god. Okay, there we Brian. Go. Is that better? He's, so we're uh <laughs> for audio <laughs> listeners, Brian is Brian's messing with his hoodie my, straps my and it's upsetting strings. me. Yeah, they need to be. Well, they you. need to be laying down. There Thanks for go. looking out. Thanks for looking out. Um, <sighs> no, I, I picture like you know a ride where you're like looking through some kind of like little submarine window or something like that, and you get to observe what's happening. I do that a lot. I look at the RC car world, and I'm like, I'll watch videos and I'll see a little bit, but I'm like, no way am I buying anything in that sphere because then I will just fall down the precipice and there's no coming back. Mm. So I know. I know that I can't. I can't mm. go there. So remember, I joked about buying you a tool that you don't need, but then you would then find a use for it. Absolutely. I, w- I wonder if the an equally cruel thing would be to just buy you a uh, an RC car engine that doesn't have like a part to it, and you'd be like, I need to do something with this. I've legitimately considered buying one of those engines because they just look so cool, just to to like mess with, like like a like a legitimate small like replica yeah. like V eight engine or something like that. Because I think it would just be cool just to build literally on its own. What? But yeah, you're not gonna buy me that. Don't buy me that. Don't buy me that. I got enough. I got enough going on. I know. I, I got know. enough. All right, you're up next. All right, cool. Um, Haptic Traveler says Saturday mornings I watch the pencast while I cook, food prep my meals for the upcoming week. That's awesome. I enjoy the mixture of fountain pen questions, information, excitement, and shenanigans. Plus, just enough about both of you personally to feel like we are all friends catching up on things. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Brian and Drew, for taking the time and effort to do this. I've been buying my fountain pens and accoutrement from Goulet for many years now and appreciate all you do and provide for your customers. Well, thank you. Oh, appreciate that support. Um, Luke Wilson, 9982, says, My wife is seven months pregnant with our fourth child and has horrible back pain. So cleaning the whole house in preparation for our Super Bowl party is falling 100% on me this year. So, yes. The Pencast is normally my cleaning podcast, but especially this week. Nice. <laughs> it's a good thing it's two hours long this week. 
turkey hammock here i come yes <laughs> love it oh very nice love it that's well, why hope... we do it this long yeah because uh, we know that everybody's got to clean their house absolutely for expecting father super bowl parties of course and that's foremost well, on our mind good luck to you and your wife congratulations yeah. and i hope your party was awesome you know, I literally didn't even know that the Super Bowl was happening. I, I, st- I still don't even know who played in it. I know. Well, I usually it already happened. <laughs> usually I find out who's going to play like a, a week away from it. But yeah. this time I didn't find out until like the day before, which is a record for me. It was wow. the Eagles and the Chiefs. Chiefs. Yes, I was going to say okay. Buccaneers, the Chiefs, one of the red teams. Oh, see, I thought it was the Steelers. I didn't even know that it was the Eagles. No, the, right? The I still don't know. The Eagles, yeah, yeah. It's one of the birds. The there's green, the there's green, a lot of birds. Green helmet bird. That's the Eagles. That's right? the Eagles, yeah. Eagles and yeah. the Chiefs. Wow. Those are the Chiefs. Clearly, y'all don't, Mahomes. Come, to, y'all don't come to the Pencast. Mahomes is a guy on, on the Chiefs. I know nothing of this. I think his name is Patrick, maybe? I don't know. You're saying words. He's not He's not my Holmes. No. <laughs> he's else. I don't know. Anyway. I got nothing going on. Chief, um, Chiefs won. Okay, cool. I mean, I'm glad. I mean, it's entertaining, but I don't. Just whatever. All right. Jacob Sampson, 7945, says, what is Brian's favorite chess opening? I'm well, guessing that's like the first move. Yes. And there are different types of... Never mind. I'm not going to ask you anything about yeah. chess. This is not the deep dive section. You have your opening, which is the beginning. You have it's your fine. middle game. It's fine. And then you have your end game, that, mm-hmm, which okay. is where you win. That's where Thanos snaps and kills everybody. <laughs> that's right. Um... I, I really like the contrast of how I do, I literally don't even know who played in the Super Bowl after it happened, and now we're talking about chess. Um, clearly, I'm more nerd than No Jock. nerds here. Um, so uh, it depends. It depends if I'm playing white, because white always goes first in chess. Didn't know I didn't if you know knew that. that. No, nope, I didn't know that. Always goes first. Um, yeah, in fact, usually when you're playing somebody, you have one person hold the the... I think it's the queen or the, I guess it's the king or queen, whatever, whatever piece you want in, in each hand, one black, one white. You mix it up behind your back and then you hold it out and the other person has to point to one of them. Oh. And whichever one they point to, that's the one that you are. They should so put a little sort of snack like a, in there with the white one. Or no, in the with black one. So that if you pick black, you still get a little snack. You get a little chocolate. Like a little, yeah, you know, little, little, Snicker, little yeah. Snickers fun size yeah, or something like that. that would be good. It'd be like, oh, I don't get to go first, but I get a treat. I feel like it'd crinkle though. It might be a giveaway. Um, you'd have to have some non-wrapped candy. Maybe mm-hmm. like dots or something would be good. Ew! You know, they're nice and Don't quiet. you dare. <laughs> God, you're disgusting. <laughs> that would be good. Um, I'm just kidding. Dots aren't chocolate, because so they're inferior. <laughs> anyway, so uh, if I'm playing white, I... Granted, I'm not like some chess master here. So I literally had to like look up some of these things because I was like, I know there's names for openings and I know I do some things. I focus more on the principles than like the names of things, but I think I have the names right. Um, so I usually do my my white king's pawn to e4. That's like my, you know, two spaces out. King, okay. You don't really know chess, do you? I need to teach you chess. No, you don't. No, nah, I don't. Okay. Um, and then... I'll usually try to go to like a Rui Lopez or a Scotch opening mm-hmm. if the black pawn goes to E5. If that's how they respond, that's usually my response. Um, if I'm black, my defense, um, it depends on white does wh- what they do, but I like the Scandinavian and the Sicilian defense as well as the Karakhan. And I kind of mix it up. Um, I probably do other variants without actually knowing what the names are, but um, those are the ones that I looked up that I was uh, able to recognize. So that's my thing. Uh, the and names are interesting. Yeah. There's logic to all of them. And some of them go back to like the 1600s and stuff like that. Oh, wow. Like they're usually named after people or where they were developed or whatever. A lot of history to it, but you can look all those up. You can give them the old Goog. Hop on the Google. Do the Goog. Yep. All right. That's it for feedback. 
Let's talk about some new stuff because we got it. We got new things. Well, Drew, you gave me all the really expensive pens today. Well, I guess you have expensive pens too. Yeah, I did. I gave you lots of fancy stuff. Yeah, I gave you some hard ones. Um, okay. Well, great, great, well, pronunciations. Yeah. Well, good luck. We'll see. I don't know. Um, Sailor King of Pens is the first thing that I've got. Makie, very into this. Battle of Ujigawa. It's a limited edition, seventy-six hundred dollar pen. It's very fancy. Excuse me. I'm trying to hold in a burp um, (laughs) as I'm talking about a seventy-six hundred dollar pen. Um, I'll be honest with you. I have not looked at this one so much. Oh, yeah, this one. Oh, man, this thing is intense. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, well, you all see a picture of this. It looks amazing. Um, yeah, I don't really know much about this battle, so I really don't have much to add. It's yeah. just a gorgeous-looking pen. And we have this in a medium nib only. Um, but, yeah, check it out if you're interested. And then kind of on the same vein with these uh, Machier pens, we have some Namiki Machier pens. These yeah, are do. the Aya Machier. Four different pens. And when we first saw pictures of these, like sometimes we get a little bit of a heads up, if nothing else, just to like consider ordering the pens before they're like released to the public or whatever. We didn't get much of a heads up on these ones. So we kind of were surprised by them much like you probably are. Um, but any new Namiki Machier is always like, give them to me now. I want all of them. And uh, yeah, we saw these and we were like, oh, these are a little bit different. They are. So these are, they're big pens. Like they're almost emperor size. They're right up they're, there. They're flat top. So if you like flat top emperors, you're going to dig the shape of these. They're very large pens. Um, lots of Machier happening on these. Lots of Urushi. But not an overwhelming amount of Machier. It's subtle, if you can call it As that, subtle as like Machier can be. Covered in like glitter yeah. and gold and silver and stuff. Um, There's not like a depiction of a character or an event or a yeah, like or the, a, like a the bit sailor, of scenery. Like you the, know? the sailor one, you look at it and you're like, that looks like a painting on yes. a pen. This one is more subtle than that. Mm-hmm. But there is like layers to it. Like you look closer in on it. Um, particularly, I really like this Siryu Blue and the Tokiwa Green. Yeah. Those have rotten in them, so I'm really into that. That blue one is The blue killer. one is nice. The green one, though, I got to say, that green one is really nice. It really is. Really nice. Usually, blue always trumps green for me and my <gasps> preferences, but some about the green. I just, oh, no, I'm, I'm really with, yeah. into it. Like the fade that the, like, the hills have on there, mm-hmm. like it's got kind of like a little ombre type of effect. Yeah. I'm like, I am kind of into this. And then, of course, when Drew was describing it to me before, I'd actually like opened up the box and looked at them. He described them as like, you know, like Mario Hills. And I can't unsee that now. I just think of Mario now. I don't know why that that popped in my head, but yeah, that was the first thing I thought of. Yeah. Um, But also the Hayati Black is really beautiful looking too. That one is really cool with like the swirly wind looking stuff on there. The uh, Akatsuki, right? Akatsuki Red. Is that right? I mean, I... Why am I asking you? You don't know anymore. Than I, I do. No, I mean you. you I think you, you would put Suki. Yes. You would put the emphasis on a little bit at the beginning, and then Akatsuki. Akatsuki. Yeah. Akatsuki. Yeah. I. Yeah. Akatsuki Red. <laughs> it's um, that one is like got like flames on it. It's kind of interesting. Normally, red and black like Machier pens 
like outsell everything else by far. Which is weird because red usually does not do, but something about Red's red. like a dog in most other pens. It but is, but about red like, Urushi. Urushi, There's yeah. something special about it. So I'm very curious to see which of these colors like is more favored. So I would, if y'all want to check them out, please let us know because I'm very curious to see which ones stick out to you. But the, the um, Hayate Black, that one has no rodden in it, but it's got like chunks of like Glitter. silver. Like yeah. it's like silver fleck. Um, which looks really striking. It looks a lot like the 90th anniversary pilot pen, which mm. looked fantastic and had that silver thing going on. Um, and then the the red one's got like gold. I guess it's fleck, right? It's like a. Yeah. It's more like a powder. You know, it's like really, really fine fleck. Yeah. Um, but all three of these pens, or all four of these pens, just look incredible. And they're really big, but they're really light too, which is what's great about. Pretty much, mo- you know, most all Namiki pens. Ebonite bodies. Yep, Ebonite bodies. So they, as like a daily writer, it's going to be so comfortable. And it's got like the felt lining on the inside of the cap, just like the emperors do to like protect the Yurushi. Not that it really needs it, honestly, but um, but the nib on this thing is fantastic too. Massive nib. So it's got, it's actually got the Pilot number 30 nib, which is their second biggest nib that they have. It's not the full size of the Emperor, which is a honker, um, but it's it's bigger than the Yukari Royale nib, which is technically a number 25. Pilot has their own numbering system. So it's the second biggest nib that you can get from Pilot slash Namiki. And it's that two-tone with Mount Fuji on it. That Namiki, oh, oh, it just looks so good. It really it does. so good. So yeah, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to try to talk to Rachel about one of these because mm-hmm. they look just amazing. Just amazing. Anyway, uh, $3,400 pens, so they are an investment. But I think for what they are, they are a bargain. I think When you like compare it to the cost of like a full Yukari Royale, it's yeah, I mean, justifiable. Like a full Yukari Royale, not counting like just the one that's playing Yurushi or the Vermilion, but like the one that's got like Machier. the Machier on it, yeah. those start in like four or $5,000. So for $3,400, I think this is very fair. I think they look gorgeous. And uh, I hope they received well in the community. And that's it for me, Drew. What about you? All right. I'm going to recover some things. Uh, before hmm. they launched, I had mentioned that uh, we were going to be getting in Ferris Wheel Press buttered popcorn. And yeah. partially because I was super jazzed about it because I harassed Brian and Rachel about it for months until they finally mm-hmm. relented and yeah. said, okay, fine, we'll co- we'll carry this product to shut Drew up. Um, so now I get to move on Pretty to much. something else yeah. and annoy them about another product, I've, toothbrushes. Um, I've got a uh, bottle of buttered popcorn, and I got that uh, Twisby Eco Tea Saffron. And I was like, looking at the pen, looking at the ink, looking at the pen, looking at the ink. I was like, I think this could work. Yes, it is a great match. So I was going to ink it up and then be like, hey, guess what I've got inked up? But I didn't. didn't. We had I some won't. crazy things happen today. But it's a good pairing. It's going to happen. It's a good pairing. It's a yeah. very good pairing. So mm-hmm. butter popcorn will be available this week uh, officially. So it'll be here. Another thing that I mentioned earlier that had not arrived yet, but will be arriving this week is the Carbon Collection Line D pens from ST DuPont. And uh, they will be available in a blue, a red, and a white, all swirly, mixy, carbony goodness. Um, we've mentioned it before, so I won't go into too much detail, but I will put up some photos so you can see. Again, available now. Hooray for that. Mm-hmm. And then something we hadn't mentioned before is a new Montegrappa pen. Mm-hmm. And this is a full, big old hunk of Italian celluloid, which is always exciting to it's, see. It's like a it's like a billy club. It is this a huge, is so big yeah, it's a big, heavy. It's like, yeah, it's a heavy <laughs> rod of 
full celluloid, which yeah. is great because Monte Grappa, as you probably know, is one of the few brands that still has access to true celluloid to manufacture pens with. Nitrocelluloid. Yeah, yeah, the good the, stuff. The OG celluloid. That's right. And it's on a pen that had not has not been available as a more or less standard edition before. They've had mm-hmm. this pen, the ART, A-R-T-E, has been available, but usually that has been reserved for some of their more like limited, 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 limited yeah. editions. I think they do like, it for a lot of their bespoke. Like I want to say when we when we toured their facility, they said they do like twenty or thirty percent of their business is like bespoke pens, which is like you could literally like I want the Mona Lisa them. on a on a pen. They'd be like, okay, yeah, great. Here or we like, go. I they, want my family like their faces on a pen. Yeah, they would do it. Yeah, and this would be this, this would be the <laughs> canvas they would use because it is a large pen. A huge it pen, yeah. makes for a good canvas for some of these because they have you know you can look at the video we have of our tour there. They have somebody on staff that is a painter that does very mm-hmm. very small paintings on very very small canvases. I mean, mm-hmm. relatively speaking, I mean it's a big pen, but. For paintings, it's still yeah. a very small canvas. Mm-hmm. So this was used for that. Now they're making this available in still smallish quantities. So they're not yeah. going to be... It's like 30 of each pen. Yeah, it's not yeah. a ton, but comparatively. It's essentially um, a celluloid vehicle is basically Yes, it is a celluloid is. vehicle. So if you love Italian celluloid on a great pen with a great nib, this is going to definitely appeal so. to you. Um, they come in uh, zebra, pearl gray, and turquoise. The zebra is that uh, really intricate pattern of the obviously black and white. Um, kind of uh, crossing itself in some sections, but it's not like, you know, full-on stripes. They're, they're, it's mm-hmm. it's segmented a bit, yeah. so it gives it a nice depth. And all three show off that really striking depth that you can really only see mm-hmm. with classic celluloid. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure if you've followed their pens for a while, you'll see these celluloids on other pens they've used in the past. I think what's happening is like when they, you know, there's only so much celluloid left because it's basically not being made anymore. So they're saving their special stuff and using it very selectively. And I think that was where these are coming from. So it's like their reserve stock, if you will. It also has yeah. sterling trim, um, a sterling silver oh, trim. Mm-hmm. So that's something you also don't see every day mm-hmm. and uh, makes it even more attractive, I think. I love sterling silver trim. Yeah, me too. I mean, it like tarnishes and stuff, but when you polish it, oh. Yeah. Looks so good. And you might notice that on some of these pens or any pen that uh, has an ebonite feed and sterling silver threads, Mm -hmm. any of the threads that kind of cross into the cap, the ebonite feed has a slow off-gassing that does Mm -hmm. affect the sterling silver. So you might see it tarnish a little bit around there. That's why it's totally normal. Mm -hmm. That's just what ebonite does to sterling silver, but it's nothing permanent. You can always polish it out. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. That's the new new stuff. All right. Let's get on to the Q&A. All right, <clears throat> let's cue this A. Oh. Wait, A to, this Q. I'm ready to A some Qs. Let's A this Q. This is a two for Brian. Great. Two people last week wanted to ask us about grail pens. All right. You had Ashira's Nook asking us, what was your grail pen when you first started out? And then Make Right Stuff says, what was your first grail pen when you, you dreamed of owning when you first got into fountain pens? So I don't know why. Same question, like, basically. Yeah, so... I said, well, if two people ask it, we kind of got to do it. All right. Popular demand and all that. Mm -hmm. So you go first. Tell us. I will go first. Grail pen, Brian. Um, You know, it was interesting for me because I really didn't know what pens were what when we started out. Um, You know, I, I, I have a very unconventional story getting into the fountain pen world, getting into it from pen making and then 
becoming a retailer for ink and paper. Right, but like when you really when you, not knowing like specific brands of pens. But when you did figure it all out, what was your Yeah, I would I would consider it to be like honestly like probably 6 to 9 months, maybe a year after we were already retailing mm -hmm. fountain pen peripherals before I even really got any grounding in what pens were what. Um you know, anything above like basically anything with a gold nib. I was just like, yeah. well, that just seems like pie in the sky. Same, you know, same. Like, um, I remember that feeling. Yeah. So I guess if I had to be technical, probably the Lamy 2000 was the mm -hmm. first one that was like, I hate to call it a grail pen because I don't feel like I knew enough to really distinguish that as I, a grail no, pen. No, that was my that was mine. That was my pick for sure. I, mean, yeah. I was because I was like, man, maybe one day I'll have a gold nib pen. Maybe one day. And yeah, the and the yeah. one that I had my eye on was the two thousand. I mean, it was so talked about. Yeah. And it had, you know, permeated the the community mm -hmm. and oh, you know, have you ever have you written with the two thousand yet? And I don't know. It, it had this kind of legend to it. Even before the Homo sapiens was as kind of well-known as it was. The 2000 was just always there. Yeah. And Pilot had like a bunch of pretty good gold nibs that I kind of heard yeah. about. But for for whatever reason, the 2000 kind of occupied a more legendary space hmm. that had a little bit more of a gravitas to it when it was spoken about. Okay. So I think that, that that was my pick was the 2000. Yeah. I guess like we could consider that. The the then Namiki Falcon, now Pilot Falcon. That would be a good one that too. That was a really good one too, because that one, you know, before, this is before Noodler's Pens, before OmniFlex, before you could, like any type of flexibility was really accessible besides going vintage. Mm -hmm. So anyone like new into the fountain pen world, like if you were new into the world, you didn't go vintage. You didn't know what was going on. Yeah. So like the Falcon was very much the iconic, like you can get a variable line width in your writing. That was a bit of a grail. Yeah. Um, but, and and then like the Pilot Custom 74, that was my first gold nib pen I personally like owned and fell in love with. Um, that one I kind of fell in love with because I was, you know, we were carrying it because we were getting asked for it. I, it wasn't one that was really on my radar because it wasn't a, it wasn't that popular of a pen back in the day. It was an, yeah. it was a good pen, but it didn't stand out as that popular. And I think at that time, we only had like two colors. I think it was, I think it was smoke, smoke and, and blue. blue. I yeah. think that might've been it. Maybe, and then, maybe clear, maybe clear. I don't remember. Um, I think, I think there was maybe those three, but then okay. there, there was like orange and purple came out. After those that. came later after the yeah, garage. Yeah. But I remember like, I was kind of like basically just like reviewing pens for content purposes and educating just like my own experience in education through using the custom 74 that's where i was like oh this is actually an amazing feeling pen and i kind of fell in love with it there and i was kind of like well i'm reviewing this pen but like i'm just not going to put it back i'm just yeah. going to keep it and that was kind of how i fell into that one i sort of did the same thing with the lamy 2000 but i think that was like a month later maybe um and that's when i fell down the rabbit hole and i have been reviewing and keeping pens ever since yep um but really the one i would probably say that would fall into what I would consider to be like the I'm pining for this. It truly seems kind of impossible to get. I can't really justify it. Um, so really the one that I felt emotionally the most like it was a grail pen was a Pelican M800. Mm. Um, and just in general, like most Pelican Souvron pens seemed pretty unattainable for yeah. me at the time because it was like five $600 yeah, price range somewhere up there. in there. So this is like when I had just started to get like the 
Lamy 2000, Custom 74, and I was like, oh, so gold nibs are pretty cool and, you know, they can offer some different things. So that's what cracked the door open for me. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, if this good of a pen is this experience, how much would, a, you know, a Pelican, a Pelican or a Homo sapiens or something like that, like how much better could it be? That was my first like foray into the, what I would consider emotionally to be my grail pen. Yeah. And then they came out with a blue stripe version that was like a special one that they did with a 1.5 millimeter stub nib, which at the time I was super into stub nibs, but I never really had anything that wide before. Yeah, that's a big one. And they, at the time, kind of over polished them a bit. So there were some hard start issues and stuff. So it was it was the first grail pen that I pined for, for like a solid like eight, nine months probably. Um, and then I got one when that special nib came out, I was so excited. And then it was also my first like dose of cold water of like, oh, just cause you spend a lot of money on something doesn't mean oh. it's going to fulfill all your hopes and dreams. So I eventually <sighs> kind of worked it out and all that, but it was a good lesson for me just of like, you know, just spending a lot of money on something doesn't mean it's going to be perfect. Yep. You know? And so I learned a lot through that experience. I still have that pen. I love it. I've since had the nib like customized and stuff like that. Um, and I love that pen still, but it's, it's, it's kind of a mixed bag for me emotionally because yeah. like, it was a life lesson. It's tough. Course. And I've talked to a lot, a lot of customers who have bought their grail pen and been disappointed by it. Mm. And it's so sad to hear, but well, it's tough, right? Like it is. It's, it's, like, a, it's, it's a, like anything. It's like your dream car yeah. or your dream, whatever collectible item insert here. How can something live up to your expectations if you're yeah. like building it up so much? That is true. You know? Now, I will say that when I finally did get my 2000, I had written with a ton of them. That's true. You had so a lot of experience. I knew it. So it wasn't like I knew exactly what I was getting. Mm. And at the, you know, I knew exactly how to hold it to write with it. So it was nothing yeah. but delight for me. That, see, that's. I but wrote, you had the right expectations. Oh, like absolutely. Knew, yeah. I wanted an extra when fine. I, when I got my Pelican, I had literally never written with yeah. a Pelican Suvron of any size, That's any nib. Different. You know, because the pen was so on it. I mean, even though we carried the brand, it was so aspirational. I don't even think at the time. Like, no, at that time, I think we had just started carrying some fountain pens. You know, but I think the most, I don't think we had sold a pen over $200. Oh, any wow. Any pen. Because we had, we started from nothing. We really had to crawl our way up the, the whole thing. So even for me buying it as a retailer, it was a highly aspirational pen. I had no experience writing with a pen in that price range. So I really went into it cold, which is probably where my expectations, you know, kind of went where they went. Yeah, but, I wrote with my 2000 after I got it for like two years straight. Oh, you really did. Yeah. That was like, you used the I would heck not, out of I would pen. not go anywhere without it. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, cross that off on your bingo cards, folks. We talked about the 2000. We, I think we did go like <laughs> at least one week without mentioning it. I think we almost did. And then we mentioned it like right at the end, maybe. No, I think the last, <laughs> there have been a couple times where we haven't, I think. It should be on the bingo card for when we don't mention it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, and then the only other thing I had to say was that, you know, obviously being in the pen business, it's a little different experience for, you know, for us, for me, especially like then probably, you know, most people who this is just more of a hobby. Um so what I attribute the whole like grail pen feeling to is when we are actually able to like retail a brand. So using Visconti as an example, you know, that whole brand for us, not only the Homo sapiens, like the pen, but, you know, being an authorized retailer for the brand, that was sort of a grail brand for us. 
Um, and I think we pursued them for a good four, four and a half years before that we really got their attention and we were able to start working together. Um, and then Sailor, obviously there was aspirations there too. Still holding out for Mont Blanc one day. Maybe we'll see the balls in their court, but um, not getting my hopes up too much, but you know, that would be one that would kind of fall into that category too. So now for me, it's less, less of like, I just want this one specific pen. It's more like, I want to, I want to work with them. I want right. to be able to like, you know, do cool stuff with I this I mean, brand. you know, the Emperor Nightline Moonlight would be oh, yeah, a that grail be, pen. That like that is your grail, grail pen. pen, yeah. Yeah, but looking at my pattern, my history, if I acquire that pen, I'm going to then there's come nothing up with above another with, grail. There's nothing above that. That's what you always think, but there's always uh, yeah, another true. pen. That's like, true, that's true. Whenever anybody asks me, like, what's my what's my favorite pen? I'm like, the next one. Yeah. You know? Like, because I just, I love pens and I keep acquiring them and I love them all and I almost never get rid of any of them. Yeah. I hoard them like crazy. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we'll see. I'll pass on 7,000 pens to my kids when I pass and uh, they will probably sell them, sell them all immediately <laughs> because they'll be like, yeah, this is dad's weird thing. <laughs> you know, whatever. Anyway. All right, cool. Yeah. Oh, you got your 2000. You got your 2000 bit in there. Oh, okay, yeah. Cool, cool, cool. All right. Next question. CC likes knives. Is it possible to over tighten a Twisby Eco cap? Just got one, but I don't want the cap. No, wait. Just, oh my gosh. Just got one, but I don't want to crack the cap. There you go. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think you can over tighten just about anything. Uh, I mean, like, I know I can. I, I So, <laughs> Yeah, if I really try, you you could. So the great thing about Twisby, though, on the Eco, on the five eighties, I think just about all of their pens have O rings on them. They do. So, yeah. so you, it's 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 less kind of, of an issue with there because you're gonna feel when you start to you know contact that O ring. It's going to give you that soft connection, and then you're gonna feel that pressure build, and then it comes to a pretty definitive stop. You gotta so, really go at it. Like you can tell when, yeah, you can tell when that pressure of the O-ring stops, and that's just when you stop. Like the Twisby is a great place to not have to worry about over tightening because you mm -hmm. know exactly when you're supposed to stop tightening. Mm -hmm. uh, and the O-ring, honestly, as soon as you ha any pen cap with an O-ring, as soon as you engage with that O-ring, you're pretty much you've pretty much got a seal. Yeah. Like if you can feel the pressure of rubber. You've got a seal. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. go ahead and tighten it up a little bit more just to kind of make sure your cap doesn't undo itself. But yeah. that O-ring creates a seal. Like, mm -hmm. it's a solid seal. And that's mm -hmm. why Twisby seals as good as it does. So, yeah, I don't think that unless you're really cranking it down on a Eco, you shouldn't be cracking your cap. But I think a lot of pens, at least historically, have added a trim ring onto the cap to kind of like mm -hmm. keep things together. Yeah, that's, that's why you have a center band so, on the cap, which the, the Eco has a big old center band on the Eco that does too, yep. Yeah, that's to, that's to reinforce. So if you didn't have that, really on any pen, mm -hmm. you know, if you didn't have that because you have threads that are locking, you're essentially putting outward pressure on that, where that center band is. So if you don't have any type of reinforcement there, yeah, with enough pressure you can expand and over time you can you can you know cause some cracks to happen so that there's a reason for those trim trim rings that's why you see them yeah. on so many pens um pro probably not all of them need it but it's 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 somewhat decorative but also practical somewhat about belt and suspenders Were you about to say something? yeah i was going to ask like do you see this happening a lot like when i think of you know i think a lot of people over associate Twisby with cracking from like way no, back in the day. We we don't see it, it a lot at all. Like, like in customer care, it's it's not very common these no, days. No, right? it's not. It's, it's one of those things that's like talked about way more online yeah. than actually happens. Yeah. 
Um, but even still, I don't feel like it happened on the cap nearly as much as it did on the body. No. Yeah, I think um, around the grip section we've seen it a few times, but the, maybe. it definitely isn't. I would not consider it a common issue. Um, yeah, yeah. I think that we've had, we probably more often get reports that someone's kind of broken their feed fins uh-huh. or can't get them back together. Yeah. Like there's probably three or four other things that I would say we hear about more than any cracking. Yeah. Now I mean, we, we and, and the same thing can happen to even if it's not an eco, like you could crack the cap on anything you over tighten. Like I have an Edison uh, ascent here. Um no trim ring here. If you really crank this thing down and kept on going, yeah, you're going to crack the cap. It can only withstand so much, but you just need to be, you know, smart about it and mm-hmm. once you feel some resistance just listen to the pen. It's going to tell you when it wants you to stop. Yeah, that's true. Were you going to say something? Yeah, I was going to say, so I've like talked to Philip about this before because- you At know, Twisby. Yeah, at Twisby. So he's, you know, Philip Wang, he's the um, the dude at Twisby. Um, and he's very involved in their development process. And this was years ago when, you know, there was some like legitimate cracking issues that they had. Not really on the Eco, more on the 540. This was like, 40, so this was like was 10, a, 10 years ago. Yeah, a decade ago probably. Yeah. I guess more time has passed than I realized. Yeah. Um, but I've had ongoing conversations with him too. But um, when he came out with this, so first off, when there were issues with cracking, it was less of like how people were handling them. And it had to actually do with the material itself. So re- when they came out with, especially the 540, which was the predecessor to the 580, they changed a lot and refined it. Way fewer issues on the 580. But I think just, you know, once you get a reputation for something, it's so hard to undo. Yeah. Um, so it had to do with the diamond like pattern that they have on there. Um, basically, in order to get that so it looks as clear and as crisp as it does, there's like some special coating with heating process that has to be done like perfectly, mm. or else it creates stresses, like internal stresses in the plastic itself. And over time, just those stresses would would maybe cause the pen to crack if they weren't done well. They have a lot of controls. They've changed how they've done some stuff. Um, and it's really, really not so much an issue anymore. And they always make it right. So it's, it's not anything that you'd be like living in fear, you know, but, and just, you know, treat your pen like you normally would. I don't think you have to like wear kid gloves when you're handling a Twisby. I mean, I carry mine around no. all the time. I've never really had an issue no, in no. the last decade. Most people don't have any issues with yeah. that. But I will say when the Eco came out, if you notice the Eco is a different shape, like that body is a different shape than the 580. Well, from what I understand, it's actually a different resin yeah. that's used that does not require that same type of treatment to be as clear. So you don't have those same like potential for internal stresses to happen. Therefore, you don't end up with nearly as many potential you know, cracking issues as you might on like a 580 or something like that. But even still, we we really don't hear about this that often. Not to say it can't happen, um, but it's really so, there's so many Twisbees out there that, you know, you would just be unignorably, you know, like hearing it all the time if it was really an issue. I think it just gets talked about, you know, yeah. a lot because people like to rehash. Yeah, the, the, you know, kind of sometimes the negative things tend to rise to the top a little bit more. Yeah, but... But great pens, big yeah. fan. It's kind of like the to the 2000 and the supposed sweet spot and how mm-hmm. that kind of bubbled to the surface for a little while for sure. a couple of years. And then it sure. just kind of was like, wait, hold on. No, it's not really yeah. as yeah. big of a deal as people make it out to be. It happens. All right. Well, there you go. Cool. All right. Next one. Next up is from, I want to say the, the yeah, angry something, but that's not. It's uh, their Yangib. 
Theringib. I want to put the I want to put nib in there, but there's a yeah. G in the middle of it. So yeah. all right. Theringib. There. Anyway, <laughs> this person says, why is there such a cost difference between Amazon retailers, especially? Oh, sorry. Why are there so much a cost difference between retailers, especially those <clears throat> on Amazon? So why is Amazon cheaper, usually? Well, it says cost difference. Didn't specifically say whether they're cheaper or more expensive. I am presuming. One might assume. Goodness, Brian. You probably see. I did a bit of a deep dive. Oh, gracious I me. Really, how many oh pages? Oh my gosh, I did not realize how much I wrote in here. <laughs> That's a bit ridiculous. Brian! Okay, I didn't realize how much I wrote. <laughs> but my first bullet says, I'm happy to talk about this. Uh, Clearly <laughs> I was. I mean, I pretty much wrote it as a script. It was uh-huh. a stream of consciousness. So I'll just kind of read what I wrote. All, All right. right. I'm going to go get some more coffee. All right. You, you probably have time to. <laughs> and, you know, go to the restroom and, you know, say hi to some folks. Do my taxes. Take a nap in your car and come back. Um, so, yeah, I'm happy to talk about this because um, I was somewhat ignorant of all this stuff before getting into the retail business. Um, learned a lot. So I'm going to speak about some things that are maybe specific to the pen world, but maybe not because I'm... You know, I'm in like networking groups with other e-commerce businesses. So I have, you know, perspective from talking to, you know, just other people. Like we don't sell on Amazon. So I, I literally have zero firsthand experience as an Amazon seller. Right. I've never sold on there. But I know a lot of people who do a lot of business on Amazon that I've talked to at length about it because obviously it's uh, the 8,000 pound gorilla in the room, Amazon. Um, so start off, lay a little groundwork here. So it's said that in retail, that there's three things that you have to balance for your customers. Um, You have price, you have quality, and you have service. Um, And of those three, you get to pick two of them that you get to do really well, which can't do all three. So you gotta keep that in mind. So you can have a really competitive price, great quality, but your service is not gonna be great. Or you can have a great price, your service can be amazing, but your quality is going to stink or whatever, any combination of the three, right? Um, so keep that in mind. We'll come back to that in a minute. So um, when it comes to pricing in the retail world, uh, manufacturers will set a suggested retail price, the MSRP, Manufacturer Suggested Retail Price. This is not just in the pen world. This is everywhere. If you go buy a car, there's going to be an MSRP, whatever. Um, this helps retailers and customers alike uh, to peg the value somewhere, right? Because you got to, you got to start somewhere. And it's also used in various ways to calculate what the wholesale cost is going to be to, you know, a retailer like us. Um, Retailers can actually sell for whatever price they want. Um, You know, there's no restrictions on that. You can sell at a loss if you are so inclined. It's, you're free to do so. Um, But many manufacturers do have what's called a minimum advertising policy or MAP, minimum advertised price, right? Um, so this is really in place to keep like widespread devaluation of the brand from happening, um, minimize price wars between retailers, you know, keep bad apples from like doing bait and switch tactics and stuff, um, you know, so that you don't, you, you want to disincentivize, you know, short-term tactics, um, and, and keep the, the brand value and brand reputation up. Um, so if a brand, not all brands have map policies. They don't all have that. And I'm talking specifically to the fountain pen world now. I don't know about most other industries, but from what I understand, it's usually, it's usually much looser. It isn't, you know. um, what, what, isn't there a brand that's famous for not allowing anything to be sold 
under MSRP, like, oh, a ba- well, like a bag company or something like that, or a designer? Oh, sure. Like I mean, they buy well, back all their old stuffs just so that they can't sell them under a certain amount? Oh, I'm, I'm like, sure. Like Coach I'm sure. or somebody? Yeah, this is this is not uncommon for a lot of like premium brands. Yeah. Like discounting may not be allowed at all. Yeah. You know, the minimum advertised price might be the MSRP. Um, you know, you see this with, um, uh, where was I going with that thought? <sighs> nope, I lost the Mont thought. No, it wasn't something in the the pen world. Maybe I'll come back to it. Um, So anyway, so if a brand has a minimum advertised price policy, um, then the retailer is not allowed to post prices in any advertisements, any websites, anything, you know, basically any public place um, that is below whatever that price is that is set. And that's, it's really dictated by that individual brand, that individual manufacturer. There may be some kind of industry standards that you notice, uh, but it's really up to each individual thing. And it's, it's fully within their right to do so. They can't, no manufacturer, at least in the U S that's all my selling experience. Um, they can't dictate what you actually sell something for, but they can dictate what you publicly advertise for because that, impacts their branding. And a lot of times they can just choose not to sell to you anymore. Well, right. That's basically the lever they have to pull, right? Which makes sense. Like if everybody's selling something at rock bottom prices and then your brand is being associated with other discount brands, you as the the brand that's worked so hard to market and advertise and develop quality products, you don't want it to go that route. Um, Because then in the eyes of the marketplace, so to speak, um, your brand is going to be associated with lower price products. So that's the way that that kind of works, not just in the pen world, but, you know, from a lot, a lot of different places. Um, so there might be some reasons why, and I'm speaking a little bit more to the fountain pen world, because there is, with a lot of brands, there is a minimum advertised price, um, which is why if you see and check a lot of different retailers, you'll see a lot of them have the similar types of discounts because that's probably because they're selling it at the minimum advertised price. Um, and it's not always like advertises. That's what the minimum advertised price is. It's more of a behind the scenes thing. But it's there. That's what's happening. Um, oh, I know what I was going to say. So if you ever go to use a coupon, like say you go to Target and use a coupon and you're like, excludes Lego and Dyson oh, and right. all this type of stuff. That's why. Yes. Because they they have a some kind of policy where you are not allowed to discount or have coupons or anything. So anytime you look at a percentage or dollar off coupon at any store and you see certain brands that are excluded, that's why. Because they don't want their brand associated with discounting. So it's totally within their right to do so. That's why they do it. Nintendo. Um, Yep. There you go. Exactly. Exactly. Um, So as a retailer, why would you break a map policy if there is one in place? Um, Well, it could be that they don't care and they're breaking it knowingly. That happens. Um, could be that they're just maybe ignorant to the map policy. Maybe it hasn't been communicated to them properly, or maybe they, you know, it was communicated at one point, but somebody else on their team listed on the website and there's some internal communication, they do it accidentally. Um, or it could be that they're not actually an authorized seller and they're getting their product not through the official channels. So there's really nobody accountable right, you know, to hold them to the yeah. minimum advertised price, which is what's called gray market. Um, and we'll get to more on that. So Getting more to Amazon specifically, because that's kind of where uh, you led me with this question. Um, Amazon is a marketplace. Amazon's not making most fountain pens. I think they have their Amazon Basic. They do have a fountain pen. Or whatever, which is whatever it is. But, you know, a a pilot pen you're buying 
is going to be a pilot pen, not an Amazon pen. So uh, Amazon effectively is sort of a retailer. Now they may sell the products directly themselves, but the reason they're called a marketplace is because, you know, any other seller could sell through Amazon, through their channel, but, you know, Amazon is not officially the retailer. They're the, they're the marketplace. So it's kind of this like somewhat of a gray area from a legal standpoint, which I'm not going to get into too much conversation around that because I have a lot of feelings. Mm -hmm. um, but this is where it's um, a lot more opportunity, just marketplaces in general. So not just Amazon. There's other marketplaces um, like Walmart has a marketplace. I th I'm not sure about Target, probably. I know Sears is a marketplace. I don't think Target Home does, Depot yeah. has marketplace items. Any third-party thing, like if you if you go to a website of a major retail operation and they ever have anything that says like ships from XYZ seller, that's a marketplace item. Mm -hmm. So they're just, you're, they're, you're listing your products on their site for the traffic and for the whatever similarity of experience of checking out through there you know, getting their customers basically, but you may be fulfilling it as Joe Schmo retailer, or you may be like in Amazon's case, they will actually do fulfillments and stuff and they take fees and all that kind of stuff. And then you're just kind of, I don't know. I don't really know what you're doing at that point. You're just shipping uh, your stuff to Amazon. Most of the work. Yeah, pretty much. Which is fine. Like that's a, that's a, that's a business model. Um, but the problem is that marketplaces in general, they don't really know the product that's being listed. They don't have any specific product knowledge whatsoever. Um, they don't really care either, frankly. For them, it's about moving widgets. They don't need to care. That's how it's set up, yeah. Um, so they make money from the fees that are taken by whoever's listing the product on their marketplace. Um, so as long as it's Not unlike eBay. Yeah, eBay is a marketplace, yeah. absolutely. I mean, eBay is 100% a marketplace. Um, so as long as the stuff sells, they're happy. They're making their fees. And then, you know, they basically, whatever, try to arbitrate whatever potential fraud or counterfeit or whatever shady stuff may be happening somewhere. But at the end of the day, they're going to pass the buck because they're just, they're like, well, we're kind of just the place where you happen to buy it. We don't actually know these products. Um, so the problem is when you have a structure set up like that, um, the lowest price is going to be what actually makes you stand out the most. Um, it's essentially incentivizing a low price war, if not all out, all out forcing it. Um, and Amazon was famous for this in the early days with new books. Do you remember this? Like like top seller books, they they had specific like price wars with Walmart, and they were going head to head on like James Patterson novels and like that kind of stuff. They were selling like below cost to specifically try to like you know, bankrupt and eat the market share of their competitors. And it was wreaking havoc in the publishing world. Like this happens from time to time for various things. And this is a good example of like, well, yeah, retailers are free to sell for whatever they want, but it can create a lot of havoc and have unintended consequences, you know, for the brand, for the authors or whoever is involved. Um, anyway, so the problem is the structure of a marketplace is just ripe for that, right? Like when was the last time you bought something on Amazon and intentionally didn't pick the lowest price. You went to say, see other right. sellers and then let me go buy it for someone that's charging more. Well, and that's that's like, some of the issue, right? Like, cause you're getting a consistency of experience of the purchasing and all that kind of stuff. And you assume it's consistency of the product delivery and you know returns and all that type of stuff. So essentially the service that's being offered is the same, you know, through anybody selling in that marketplace. Um, so that, you know, gets back to what I said about the price, quality and service. Well, that service is already taken care of. For better or for worse, the service is what it is on that marketplace. Um, so you as the person listing on that marketplace, you don't really have an opportunity to do service. 
um, because you're and and you're actually kind of walled off from the interaction. Like you don't get customer data, you don't get customer interaction other than shipping the physical product. Maybe if you were even shipping it directly, um, you really don't have any interaction. So there's the service component is kind of eliminated. Um, so retailers that are selling on these marketplaces can operate under basically whatever name they want to. So you can actually be an authorized retailer for a brand. And if you want to sell in a marketplace, if you chose to, you could set up some alternate brand name, sell it on there and do whatever shady type of stuff that you want to. Zero plus sort of get around turbo. Yeah. Sort of get around some stuff. And that definitely happens. I'm not going to say it happens all that much in the pen world, but for sure it happens a lot in other industries on marketplaces. Um, But that is something that definitely happens. Um, And then there can be price undercutting and stuff. You get around your map policy and all these types of things in the short term with little consequence because you're, 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 you're hiding things basically um, and trying to get around that if you're an authorized dealer. Um, So getting back from that a little bit, I feel like that's going to a little dark place there, but you know, assuming better intentions, retailers selling on market on marketplaces, um, they really have to spend a lot of their attention on price because you've eliminated that service component, you know, and then if you're, if you're selling a product that you're not making and that you can get anywhere else, you really can't do much about quality either. So the one lever you have to pull to try to incentivize anything to happen becomes price. And also if you're not fulfilling it, if Amazon is fulfilling it, that means you have shipped it to a warehouse that commingles their stock sometimes too. Yes, that happens at Amazon. And that's kind of an issue. Uh, not as much in the pen world, though I have heard of it happening with the commingling of stock, but I hear that a lot with other other companies, other brands, is that there are other sellers that get counterfeit products made and then send them to Amazon's warehouses. They can't tell the difference. They commingle everything. So you can be a very legitimate authorized retailer selling stuff and they could be pulling stock off their shelf that you didn't even send them that is counterfeit stuff. Like if you and I are both selling through Amazon, we're both selling pilot vanishing points Mm -hmm. and we both send them pilot vanishing points, someone someone that you sell to might get the vanishing point that I sent Amazon. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Very likely, that's what they do. That's they commingle the stock. That yeah. happens all the time. Um, which, if you're only selling legitimate goods that are all the same, sure, whatever, it's no problem. But I could, I could take far less care in packing my stuff to Amazon than you do. Hundred percent. Yeah. You know, and that that. Or uh, if you were unscrupulous, you could be doing something shady, or you could be sending a pen, but you know, not including the nib or whatever. Yeah. Like, my, my Amazon seller name is uh, No Scruples Brown. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no so, Scruples Brown. There you that's go. It. Um, beware. Yeah. So that can definitely happen. And in fact, I know other, other retailers who they have a huge portion of their business model that is selling on Amazon. The, the price competition is so, um, it's so ruthless there. They have software and stuff that they literally have that monitors minute by minute what the price is of the things that are selling on Amazon. Because I mean, if you get it, they they put in their algorithm like a stock for, the, market. for the cheapest yeah for the cheapest price to be floated to the top. So if you drop by three cents, you're not the top listing anymore, and you might sell a tenth of as many products. Jeez. It's it's literally or more like it can make that much of a difference. The the price competition on Amazon because of the way that they've structured the platform. So and again, I don't mean to ma- I mean I have my feelings towards it. Clearly, I've got a little bit of a negative bend to it. For commodity products, you could argue, sure, like the customers win because they're getting a better price. You know, who really cares what paper towels you get from where? You know, you just want it and lower prices are good. 
However, in niche markets like fountain pens where there is a high touch experience and there's nuance and there's a lot of knowledge required in selling and servicing these products, it can be extremely harmful to have a, such an over index on low price in the long term. So that's where it can get a little challenging. Um, so there can be a multitude of different reasons why you might see different prices on marketplaces. Um, but essentially they're just built to drive down the price. That's how marketplaces are structured. Um, they're designed to increase volume, dis disincentivize a high touch experience because high touch um, service takes time and costs money and requires humans. Um, and so that is more expensive. And um, they, they put a wall up between retailers and brands and then retailers and uh, their own customers. So for commodity items, it's fine, but for high touch niche stuff, um, it can really do a lot of harm to the point where we actually have several brands that we carry where they have a no Amazon policy or a no marketplaces policy, um, you know, because they've had so many problems that, and it's not, it's not just like an ungrounded fear. It's people that were actually starting to sell on there and were causing a lot of confusion and a lot of problems through selling through these marketplaces and the, to the, where, the point where the brands were like, we don't care if we lose some potential market share. This is bad for our brand and we don't want to do that. So there could be some of that. Um, let's see here. Gosh, I still have more notes. I'll try to wrap it up here. Um, so I know that I'm, I personally am in the minority on my stance of marketplaces and e-commerce in general. I mean, a lot of my business colleagues, not in the fountain pen world, but other like you know, people who deal in, in other industries altogether. Um, some people like think I'm absolutely crazy for not going all in on selling on Amazon. Like it's so funny to the point where like I'm in certain like networking groups where I'm known as like the almost the non Amazon guy just because they're, I mean, you know, they might be selling kitchenware or, you know, baby clothes or something like that. Other industries where it's like for them to ignore Amazon would be death. Like they just, they could not sell these products because they yeah. are more commoditized. Yeah. But fountain pens, we are, you know, it's a, it's a different kind of a Definitely thing. Definitely not a commodity. Not a commodity at all. Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, you know, I know I have a little bit of that bend to it. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's, it's pretty uncertain what the future of e-commerce holds for not just fountain pens, but all kind of niche hobbies like ours, where it's increasingly difficult to avoid marketplaces because I think like, what is it like? 55 or 60% of all product searching happens on Amazon first. It's higher every year. And every year, every holiday season, you, they tell us that, oh, this percentage was purchased last year on Amazon. And this year it's predicted that 79% of all shopping will be done on Amazon. Like, yeah. It's going to get to the point where it's going mean, to, it hasn't gone down yet. So. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. It's interesting. So it's tough to say, but I know from talking to other retailers that sell uh, through marketplaces like Amazon, they're paying anywhere between maybe 17 to over 50% of the total retail price in fees for Amazon. So I tell you what happens, and I've seen I've seen this That's from people in other industries. I know, we don't make those kind of margins in the fountain pen world. No. Like literally you can't afford to sell on Amazon um, because of the fees. But I know other, other industries, you know, maybe it may be like certain types of clothing and stuff like that, where they maybe have higher margins. Um, on certain products where they're, they're talking, they're like, if we don't get at least 80% margin, they're like, we can't, it's not even worth our time to carry it. So what happens is when you have these marketplaces that drive down price that are so competitive and it's like live or die by volume, it forces price and then manufacturing 
quality because you lower, lower, you drive down price that goes all the way back to manufacturer that's going to drive down quality. That's what ends up happening is in the long term. You have to make sacrifices. You have to make a sacrifice somewhere. So if you can't control the service and you have to drive down price, you're not going to have top quality. Like, so, I mean, it's, I got a lot of feelings around it. And for, for the fountain pen world and specifically, I have not seen much good coming from marketplaces because it is just not conducive to the high touch experience that's involved in a hobby like this. Um, but to make it, you know, and again, I'm not, I'm not speaking ill of any particular re retailer in the fountain pen world. We've never sold on Amazon, but I don't, I don't judge anybody who does. Um, I just try to like understand what's happening on these platforms just so that I have better knowledge and, you know, we make decisions as a retailer, uh, just like y'all do as, as customers. Um, but bottom line, wherever you, wherever you buy from, where you buy matters, at least with fountain pens. Um, but, you know, buy from who you feel comfortable supporting and who you feel is going to support you um, with the right balance of that price, quality, and service uh, based on what you value. And as long as you feel good with that, then right on you. You know, we're not trying to catch everybody in the world. We want to do things the way that we do them. We're high touch service education and we try to have the best quality possible. Um, yeah. And that's the way we do it. But anyway, that's why you won't see us listing in marketplaces for like bottom price. Anyway. Race to the bottom, right? As Seth Godin says, the problem with the race to the bottom is you just might get there. That makes sense. Yeah. It's and scary, but it makes sense. On that sense. note, we'll end because I don't want anybody to have You don't have anything more to say? During the... <laughs> I could go more. <laughs> you did great. You're, 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 you're egging me on you here, did great. Drew. Thank you. you. Great. Thank you. <laughs> you didn't look like you had like pain on your face. No, no, as no. As I was talking. No, it, it, you know, I've, I've heard it before, you know, and it, it makes sense. But uh, we are in, I'm very thankful, honestly, that we are in a different enough industry that mm -hmm. selling on Amazon at this point is not a foregone conclusion. That we do have the freedom and the option mm -hmm. to, you know, engage in a more direct sales relationship with our pen friends out there in this community. So we're trying. I think it's delightful. I'm very, very thankful to be, because there are a lot of people that are in retail industries that they do enjoy and that they are passionate mm -hmm. about, sure. but they don't have that option. Um, yeah. And I'm just, I'm very glad that we do have that option. Yeah, It breaks my heart when I talk to other business owners who have the same drive and want to do the same stuff we are, but they're just, they're just in a more competitive, more commoditized market. And yeah. they're, they're literally like, we've been, they're like, we've been trying to build our own website, trying to be selling direct and stuff like that. But they're like, we spend more on it every year and every yeah. year the cut of that gets smaller. They're like, if we're not on the marketplace, oh, that is sad. then we disappear. And, and especially and for me, like, you oh, being, being somebody, sucks. being a bootstrap entrepreneur like yourself, like you, mm -hmm. you understand that, that, that feeling of like sure. wanting to build something and you, I'm sure you, you root for these guys, yeah. you know, you, you cheer yeah. for them and it's, well, it's sad when you, when you know that yeah. they're not going to make it because of the Amazon. Well, it's kind of like the, you know, the like mom and pop store on main street. And then yeah. like the, the Walmart comes into town, like in the seventies and eighties. And I mean, that was the, that was the equivalent of what was happening in that generation. Yeah. And now that's happening, you know, with, with online marketplaces yeah. and stuff like that. So I mean, in some ways you can't stop progress. Sure. So, you know, you, you, you can sort of try to fight it to a degree, but you know, you, you kind of can't, what's going to happen is going to happen. And it's, yep. it's something that's kind of bigger. It's, it's honestly, it's bigger than Amazon. Like if it wasn't Amazon, it would probably be somebody else that would be developing that because of the way the technology is and global, you know, globalization and global shipping and all that, like that was just bound to happen in some ways in general. Um, you know, but 
we try to just slice out our little beautiful oasis on the yep. internet. And we're, and be we're, our little, we're happy where we're at. We're glad you're there with us. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, we appreciate any support you choose to throw our way. Indeed. All right, let's take a hard pivot away from all that ethereal retail nonsense and talk about some pen stuff again. Um, I got a question for you, Drew. Yes. From Arit93. What makes an ink good from a quality aspect? Mm. Because ink is kind of mysterious. Yeah. It's just kind of in bottles. Yeah. <laughs> it's just kind of there. And it, it has a name on it. It's not no kind of about it. But there's nothing. It. Ink, you know, ink like, is in bottles. No ink really says what it is. No. It might say some properties. <laughs> no. None of them have ingredients labels. None of it. Like, Channeling my friend Brian Goulet, I'm going to say that, you know, it de- like good is a, is a subjective term, well, you know. So it depends. You're, you're, it's, it depends on you. We're going all um, bingo on this one. So, yeah. All, all the so, high points. Uh, to me, Good ink is in, uh, I thought about this question. I'm like, you know, it's in the baby bear zone, right? It's not, the, the porridge isn't too hot. It's not too cold. It's just right. You know, the bed, the chair, whatever. Um, so you can have your super wait, wet ink. Wait, baby bear is not the not the right one. Isn't mama bear? Isn't that the, the three little bears? No, it? I'm pretty sure mama, baby bear is the one you want. Is it? Pretty sure. Maybe you are. Oh, gosh. I don't know my, I don't know my tails, do I? I thought the... The papa bear was like the bed was too big, baby bear was too small, and the mama bear was just right. Am I uh, wrong on that? Uh, I thought baby bear was always the, the right one. Anyway, my, my we don't kids need, are kind of too old. We don't need now. to call this officially years. the baby bear zone, but we'll just call it the just right zone. All right, the Goldilocks okay. zone. How I'm not trying that? to call you out. I just, uh, you I might be ge- right. I don't know. I genuinely can't remember, and I know I get this kind of stuff wrong. I've never time. read that book to my son. Like, it's not a. Is it a book? I. I it, I guess. Story? I don't know. Box. It's Goldilocks, right? Like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. 100% That's... public domain, so I, I guess look, it doesn't really matter. I gotta look this up. I need um, Anyway, the Goldilocks zone. Uh, so you've heard of wet inks. So wet inks flow really quickly, and they just gush right out of your pen. It's nice to have something that flows quickly, but not something that is going to just, you know, pool on your pen or on your paper when you don't want it to. On the other side, you don't want it to be too dry either. You don't want it to be, you know, a very stingy, weak flow. Um, so right, being right there in the middle as far as flow is concerned is helpful. You don't, uh, there are a lot of different brands, obviously, that have different types of flow to them, not universally. So if I wanted to say that the um, Lamy inks are drier inks, that's true with most of the original inks, like the classic colors with the little blotting paper roll stuck to the bottom of them, but their crystal ink brands, not so much. They're more middle of the road inks. So it's not a hard and fast, all Noodler's inks are super wet, but I will say most Noodler winks are Noodler winks, tiddlywinks. Most Noodler's inks are pretty wet. Um, mm-hmm. Diamine, I would put more in the middle. You know, they've got some more wet inks, more some dry inks. I'd put Robert Oster in the middle as well. Um, did you find out something? I did. What, what is it? I didn't want to interrupt. I'm, no, no, no go for it. Go for it. Uh, you're right. It's baby, it's bear. baby bear. Okay. First off, I don't understand the story. Is there a moral to it? Like, <laughs> no, it's just literally a, she breaks into these no, bears' it's just, houses. No, it's a story of breaking and entering. Like, and, ruins and her stuff. Eats robbery. her fruit. Sleeps in the bed. They wake her up and she runs away. That's no, the whole story. That's it. Yeah. No wonder I don't know the story because I'm like, what value is there in telling this to my kids? <laughs> She learns nothing. No, she's terrible. Goldilocks is, is the... So it was the porridge was too hot, too cold, just and just right. right. Yeah. The baby bears was just right. Mm-hmm. And then she sat in a chair. The chair was too big. The mama bears was also too big. The baby bears was just right. But she broke it. <laughs> <laughs> like she sits down in the chair and breaks it. Like what a disrespectful... Yeah, it's terrible. Like why, why, would you, why would you eat somebody's food, break their chair... <laughs> 
and then stay in the house? <laughs> like, who are you? And then, uh, yeah, she goes to the bed. So the Papa Bear's bed was too hard. Mama's was too soft. Baby's was just right. And she was in Baby Bear's bed when they came home and realized that there's this thieving, lying terrorist <laughs> in their house. And then she just wakes up and runs away. Doesn't apologize. Terrible. Doesn't reimburse them Goldilocks is the for worst. the damages that she's caused. Now these bears are going to be living in fear like somebody's going to break into their house and destroy their home. Yeah. What is the point of this story? Why has this stood the test of time? I don't I know. I don't understand. I don't know. I'm very confused by this. Please give me insights. If there's anything that y'all know about Goldilocks and the three bears, why? It just survived somehow. What is the point of this story? Anyway. Sorry, I, um, I interrupted. But no, 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 you, that's you go good. Ahead. You're, you're, um, you're giving good pen knowledge. I haven't, I haven't written with a ton of Colorverse ink, but um, I have been told by people who have written with more than what I have that Colorverse is on the more wet side as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, I'll say it's tough with brands like Colorverse or Noodler's Diamine. They have so many different inks. Yeah, there's going to be outliers like, for sure. Yeah, you're, you can't say like, anything from this brand is going to write a certain way because yeah. it's going to depend Yeah, m- most Ferris wheel press inks are considered to be on the dry side. However, a lot of them are also very not saturated at all. So it's yeah. like, what, what, you know, is the cart before the horse there, you know, the yeah. chicken to the egg. So they do have some pretty saturated colors. Buttered popcorn, in my opinion, flows marvelously. <laughs> um, so it's We're not an- to add buttered popcorn to the bingo uh, card. Oh, I'm not going to shut up about it. It's that like every, be, it's like be, every can, pen cast now. Buttered popcorn's can, coming up. Somewhere. That can be the center square because it's going to happen every time. <laughs> Um, free, free, free square. Uh, so that also brings into the uh, discussion dye and what, uh, so the more dye or the more components in general that you put into an mm-hmm. ink, the more variables you're adding in and the more you're throwing off that water to X whatever ratio. ratio. Yeah. So yeah. everything has the, you know, the predominant ingredient in all of these is going to be water. Mm-hmm. But the more stuff you put in, if you want it to be a heavy, heavily saturated ink, you're going to be putting in a ton of dye. Mm-hmm. And then if you want it to be waterproof, you're going to add something to make it that. If you want it mm-hmm. permanent or, you know, some other, you know, additive, yeah. you want it to shimmer, you know, you're you're throwing off that water to X ratio. So that's going to affect the flow as well. Yeah. So in my opinion, something that has a good amount of dye, but that's not going to have so much dye that's going to throw, throw off, you know, the flow issue is a good ink. It's just that one ink that yeah. sits in the middle. It's not troublesome. It's not too dry, not too wet, flows predictably, works well on a wide variety of papers because some ink dries really quick and some ink dries really slow. Again, baby mm-hmm. bear zone. I don't want, you know, a good ink is going to be somewhere in between those two extremes, right? It's yeah. not going to just immediately soak right into the paper and feather everywhere, but it's also not going to sit on top of the paper until you close your book and smush it all over the place. It's going to be somewhere in between those two extremes. Yeah. And... um any ink that has a ton of stuff added to it is going to introduce new variables and is going to behave a little bit more unpredictably. So the more features an ink has, the more, you know, X factors it's also going to have. So, you know, you can mm-hmm. kind of just keep that in mind. Um, and keep in mind also that ingredients, uh, like dye ingredients for different colors, come from completely different places too. A blue dye is made from a completely different thing than a red dye is. Yeah, and they have different properties. I don't know what those things are, but I know that blue dyes don't create barnacles for the most part. Like you don't see mm. crustaceans growing on your nib if you're using, you know, a, a blue ink. 
I, I'm sure Generally it's possible. Speaking. I'm sure it's possible. No, I, it's I, mostly like reds, oranges, magentas. Yep. Something, something in that dye family just wants to so crusty. And there you go. There's another X factor. So, yeah. mm-hmm. in my opinion, that's not you know, uh, it's not a bad ink, but it's just a variable that I don't need when I'm looking for that like perfect set of inks that's just not going to give me a hard time. They're predictable. They're reliable. Mm-hmm. They're not going to require any additional um, or unconventional maintenance efforts on my part. What are are we considering to be good? Like, is there any type of quantitative thing we can put on on good? You know, because like I think about something like wine is a good example. Mm -hmm. Wine is very subjective, but there's still like a general understanding of like why some wines are better than others. Now there's just way less information about how inks are made than wine. And it's obviously a much more niche thing. But is there like... Is there anything about the components that are used or what? Like, we the problem is we don't really know what no. most of the stuff is. Like, I, I would, I'm trying to think about. I would say like if you know it when you see it. Like you have you've used inks that you know don't feather like crazy and they don't take forever to dry. Okay. The thing that pops into my head is Iroshizuku. Like th- mm-hmm. those inks are. N- generally referred to as good inks by like most people. Well, well-behaved yeah, is the term like, I hear a lot. No, yeah. I've never met anybody that's just like, oh, Roshizuku is the worst crap you could put in your pen ever. Like, that's, ju- I've never heard that. No, generally I've heard not. people be, I've heard people be a little ambivalent towards them yeah. or and people that have loved them. So I would say like, that's a pretty solid baby bear yeah. brand. Um, well, it's, it's interesting because like most of the, most of the inks that come from pen manufacturers yeah. tend to be, maybe a little less exciting in exactly. terms of their the extremeness of their properties yeah. but they're generally going to be pretty well behaved right. not a lot of muss and fuss and hassle and stuff like yeah. that but you that know. doesn't mean that anything like so so if Hiroshizuku is kind of like in the middle mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that anything to the left or the right of that is bad ink it's still good yeah it's just you know a little bit more to one side or the other. Like, yes, you're going to get more vibrant if you step a little bit mm. this way, but you also might get a little bit more staining too or something else, but still good. You know, all this is good. Mm. I think the only time an ink is truly bad is when it does harm. So nothing that we carry. Yeah, or it's like um, like not like non-functional. Like, yeah, so yeah, I mean, it's that, all good, but really, any, any it of comes that, down to your opinion. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really it's so my opinion. So my subjective. opinion, basically, what I consider to be good is just something that is easy to maintain, looks good, and does what I expect it to do. Yeah, I think like with a reasonable degree of maintenance and care and stuff like that that's required. Yeah. Not like oh, I can't believe I you know have to clean the ink out of this pen. You know, it shouldn't be anything unrealistic. Yeah, but, but I also, like, I don't need waterproofness. I, there are some people that say it's not good at all unless it's permanent. And that's what they need. That's their definition of good. That's not my definition yeah. of good because I don't write anything that I really need to save for long periods of time. That's just not what mm-hmm. I use my pens for. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't journal. Um, and when I do, it does not get exposed to water or sunlight ever. So I don't really care about its permanence. Yeah, that's true. Because like you look, take an ink like Hiroshizuku, it is not UV resistant. No. Like at all. Like you leave that thing and you Vaporized. and it's going to disappear yeah. pretty quick Yeah, because most blue dyes do that. Yeah. So yeah, it, it definitely depends a lot on the specific properties you're looking for. Yeah, and how so, you're using it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I would say there's like, in terms of just like straight up bad, I can't really think of many inks that would even fall into that category. I mean, holistically, there are, I can think of people whose opinions on it. Sure. Maybe. Yeah. There are plenty of people that would say base state blue is bad. Nitrogen is bad. 
And I would say that, you know, if you, if you want maybe high maintenance things. Yeah. Like one, yeah, it's going to stain your pen or yeah. your feed and it's going to yeah. be hard for you to use. But a lot of people would argue, yeah, it's still worth it. Yeah. So I mean, it's up to, it's up to your taste. It really is. And this is part of like where we as a retailer who get a lot of feedback from paying customers, if there's an ink that's bad, we're not going to sell it. No, it'd be, it'd be a like, bad idea for us to sell a yeah. bad ink. So, I mean, I think you can pretty much look at, you know, us or, or probably most other retailers who put a concerted focus towards fountain pens. You know, we probably do a more specific focus towards fountain pens than most retailers. You know, other retailers may have other types of writing instruments. We're, we're one of the ones who focus on fountain pens quite exclusively. Um, but anyone who specializes in like fountain pens they're probably going to be a good, you look at their website and see what inks that they offer. They're all probably going to be pretty good, like a base level of good. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Amazon, that's a different matter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I mean, they do sell like shellac-based inks out there. So, I mean. Oh, a lot. Of, that would be a bad ink for a fountain a lot pen. Of people, a lot of people who don't know that much about fountain pens get um, calligraphy ink. Yeah. And India ink and stuff yeah. like that confused where it's shellac-based or acrylic-based. Yeah. Oh man, and they can really screw up a pen because mm-hmm. that stuff will not flow through a fountain pen. It'll flow through once. Well, it'll and then... flow into it <laughs> and then stop. And then stay in it forever. Ooh, it's rough. It's rough. I've heard that happen more on one occasion. Yeah. But... All right. All right. Well said, Drew. I agree. With what okay. I've got a final question for you, BJ. Do you? Yes. Oh, another. Just for you. Another good one. Yeah. Man, you... I am sounding like such a Debbie Downer on this episode here. Uh, well, I knew but... that you had feelings about this. And I do. I do have sometimes, feelings. Sometimes the feelings we have are very extreme. So, um, yeah. I mean, as extreme as we get. Well, you want to see like, does, how do you get Brian like jazzed up? Jazzed yeah, get him up, talking about Amazon. Giddy. I'm really not giddy. Or ri- <laughs> like, I can get riled up. Yes. I get riled up more than I get yes. like giddy. Yes. Would you would you say that? Absolutely. Do you get giddy? I get mad. Oh, I've definitely I could I I could go in the database and trigger you in a non-positive way if 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 I sorted through the uh the oh. annals of our relationship. Oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's dangerous. C- that's dangerous. C-Dub 92 <laughs> says to you, Brian, okay. why aren't fountain pen ink compatible roller balls more popular? There are so few options. It's true. You know, whenever there's something where there's not a lot of options, there's usually two things that cross my mind. Mm. E- either one is like, this is an unmet opportunity. Like there's something here. There's demand for it. Just it hasn't been the right focus. The timing hasn't been right. There's really an opportunity to pursue this and grow this into something. Uh, and then there's this situation where it's kind of something that just really shouldn't exist. Um, <laughs> it's... <laughs> and again, I'm taking a very extreme example on this. I've honestly been more of the advocate for carrying more of these products in the past, but they keep letting me down. And so I kind of just want to crap on them today. Yeah. You know, I'm just going to let out my frustrations a little bit because I've tried time and time again, much like, you know, I don't watch a lot of superhero movies, but like, what is it like the Incredible Hulk where they keep remaking it over and over again? And you're like, God, they keep on screwing it up. Yeah, there have been three Hulks. Yeah, it's like that. I feel a little oh, bit four, like that with these refillable roller balls. And it's not fair to pick on any one brand because I think everybody's well-intended. I think the nature of it is it's just, it's just, it just doesn't, it just doesn't really work. It just doesn't really work as well as you think it should. Um, and so that's what I'm gonna talk about today. So I, I've really tried to like them and I'm not fundamentally opposed to them. 
I just feel a little bitter from having my heart broken of advocating for them yeah, no, <laughs> internally. You're, you're usually pretty open-minded to new products. I try, I try. Um, they seem like a really good option, right? So you're you're combining the convenience of a rollerball with you know the personalization and you know getting to use all of your unique ink colors and stuff like that, like you would with a fountain pen. Um, so I would say they're not popular for us because our customers often have a conversion experience when they get into fountain pens. So, you know, you've used ballpoints and rollerballs and other things, you know, your whole life, however long that may be. And then when you discover fountain pens, it's sort of like walking through the wardrobe into Narnia. And you're like, what a beautiful place, these fountain pens. But then when you when you bring refillable rollerballs into it, you're kind of stepping into the uncanny valley a little bit. And you're like- I don't want to go here. You're like, well, I, th- I thought I was leaving some of this, but I'm like kind of bridging between the two worlds now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in my experience, like what the rollerball offers, it's just not appealing enough. Um, and it's like, well, you might as well just write with a G2 and save all the hassle. Like really, like the rollerball thing nice. has been pretty well figured out. Yeah. Um, but- it really hasn't been well figured out on the refillable rollerball thing and not for lack of effort. So I joke with my team uh, that refillable rollerballs are the worst of both worlds. I looked in here and made sure you <laughs> said that because yes, you do say that. That is my, that is on my, my Brian's bingo card in our new product meetings. Yeah. Um, because in reality, most of them turn out to be all of the maintenance and hassle of a fountain pen, but with a relatively forgettable writing experience like you would have with a rollerball or ballpoint. So while you want it to be the best of both worlds, in reality, it ends up being kind of the worst. So you end up <laughs> with some drying out and leaking issues with, you know, with some scratchiness and harder, to you know, clean. harder starting and, and not ease of cleaning. Because like, they've got that wick usually. Yeah. And it's just... It's just disappointing pretty much over and over again. Not for everybody, not for everybody, but, uh, and I'll get into that in a second. So like, just hang on. Don't, don't like blast me in the comments quite yet. I know I've got some, some feelings on this, but I'm I'm getting there. I'll try to cover all my points. Um, I don't really know the science behind how refillable rollerballs really work, but if I had to oversimplify it, um, I would say that um, I know that with ballpoints and rollerballs, there's incredibly fine tolerances that have to happen for the ball to be able to rotate properly and seal properly inside the tip of those pens. And specifically, ballpoints and rollerballs are often engineered with ink that has specific like lubricating components and things like that that keep the ball rolling smoothly and operating properly. The problem that you have with refillable rollerballs is you are adding so many variables. Everything we just talked about with ink and what makes ink good, you're talking about throwing whatever the heck kind of liquid in there that you want. You're going to be taking something that requires very fine tolerances and is generally engineered to be paired very specifically with ink that has very intentional properties to it. And you're just kind of like, well, whatever the heck, just throw whatever in there that you want and let's hope for the best. So while I will say I've heard of some people who absolutely love refillable rollerballs, use them like crazy. Typically, I think they're using, they're not using them with like as their ink testing pen and they love to ink it up and change all the time. They pretty much stick with like an ink that they like and know and use and it it pairs really well. That absolutely can happen. I think that's the best that you can hope for in a refillable rollerball is that you're able to get essentially a a good writing 
rollerball experience that you can just refill the ink. You're not you're not changing the ink out a ton. You're not you know you're not getting all of that. You're just you're 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 getting a reliable writing rollerball pen right. with ink that you get to use on your own. Um, if you think about pens like the Pilot Precise, that is a refillable. Well, technically, it's a, it's a it's a it's a rollerball pen that uses liquid ink. I don't know if you're familiar with the precise. No, I'm not. So it's got fins inside of it, and it's got a re- it's got a rollerball tip. It's got like a really long tip on it. You'll recognize it when we we'll find a picture of it and put it in there. Um, but that has a liquid ink inside of it that Pilot has engineered very specifically to work with that pen. Um, so you absolutely and I was a big fan of that pen growing up. Like I used a Doctor Grip as my pencil, and I used Pilot Precise. Um, I do know this a pen. lot. You, you've like absolutely, a dark, dark gray. Seen, you've absolutely. Let me pull up for you right now. Yeah. But um, so that is a great example of a rollerball pen with liquid ink that yeah. is a great writing experience. Yeah, you can see the ink in the fins and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I do remember that. So that's the potential, and that's yeah. what everybody wants it to be. But the problem is when you have ink of varying properties, it's a total crapshoot as yeah. to what your ex- writing experience is actually going to be. Yeah, those pens are nice. Yeah. Right here, Pilot Precise. Yeah, the V5 is common, the V7. Yeah, you've seen these. You know. Oh, heck you know yeah. Oh, yeah, right love there. those yeah, things. absolutely. Love them. It's just, it's a fountain pen with a rollerball tip. That's mm-hmm. what this thing is, really. Um, anyway, so that's what that is. And it was mastered decades ago. And it's hard to improve on that. Yeah. So I think paired with the right ink, you can get a really good writing experience out of refillable rollerball. The problem is the benefits of what people want, what fountain pen people want in a refillable rollerball, I think is very difficult to achieve with any refillable rollerball to the point where I think we should just stop trying and just focus on making great fountain pens and stick with rollerballs are great. They've been mastered. You can buy things like the Pilot Precise and just use those when you want a rollerball and then use fountain pens for when you want fountain pens. That's kind of, that's kind of my opinion. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, Yeah. But I haven't used everything, so to kind of leave on, shut my mouth up on this one, you know, please share in the comments if you have any refillable rollerballs that you've used that you really love, because I am very open to them. I just, we've tried carrying them, and the consistent feedback is that people are generally not too happy with how they perform. Yeah. So. Even, even uh, Yooker's wasn't a refillable fountain, pole roll, fountain pen rollerball. Um, that was like a fiber tip. Yeah. And that, e- that and, one's kind of different. And even that lost steam eventually. Yeah. I mean, it's it kind of, it's, that one, it, it writes more reliably. It does. But I think it falls into a kind of a similar vein, which yeah. is like, well, if I want that, why wouldn't I just like buy yeah. that in its master, like it's masterful version yeah. and let fountain pens be what they are. So I don't know. I'm, uh, I'm kind of open to feedback on that, but that's my feelings on it. We'll Very see. open-minded, but you know, it keeps getting, that door keeps getting slammed in my face with yeah. every one we carry. You've been, you've been hurt. <laughs> I have been hurt. Yeah. I've been hurt, but you know, you don't want to, you don't want to, oh, there's some metaphor here. There's some Brene Brown quote that I'm trying to grab, but I'm like half remembering it. Don't numb yourself to lo- joy. Well, she has like an analogy of a house. Like you you need to have your windows open. Like if you shut all your windows, mm. then you never let in the sunlight. <laughs> the sunlight Something is the like refillable rollerball. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to shut all the windows to my house from the refillable rollerball. Oh, you can let the refillable rollerball crawl in through the kitty door. But I, I open my windows and then like bird but, bird flies in and craps on my dinner. <laughs> you can let, then if, if that the happens refill- enough times, I'm going to be like, I'm going to shut the windows. If the refillable you know? rollerball wants to come in, it can come in through the little mail slot. There you go. There you go. There you go. All right. Fair enough. All right. <laughs>
Um, well, next up, oh wait, no, no oh. email. Email, yeah. So if you have questions, you can obviously leave comments here. You can leave on YouTube, you can leave comments on Instagram. But if you're an audio listener, um, you can email us at pencast at gulepens.com. We take questions all the time and we answer them. That's kind of what we do here. All right, now we have a very special treat for yeah, you Yeah, we do. A hands-on demo of a pretty baller pen, the new Monograppa pen. So uh, without further ado, let's go check that bad boy out. All right, folks, we have a very special treat to show you today. Very. This is like one of the highest like satisfaction unboxing <laughs> experiences that we that we get. This is like the big show for us. Uh, we got the James Bond Monograppa Spy, 007 Spymaster Spy Master. Duo. Yeah, that's what it's called. Um, we actually have the pen physically here to show you. It's got some very interesting things going on, so we wanted to show you more close up. Kind of how it works. Yes. So yeah, right. let's check it out, man. Uh, the box is absolutely massive. Uh, I believe it's measured in cubits, perhaps. Um, it's very large. Uh, so it's got this huge sleeve, very thick cardboard. Uh, I will say, presents very, very nicely. That's got the Monograppa logo kind of debossed in the top there. Oh, I'm trying to like <laughs> slide this thing out of here. Sweet branding. So it's the 60th anniversary of James Bond. That's what this is all about. And uh, it's got another very hardy cardboard kind of outer sleeve. Oh, it's grabbing the mic. Oh, it's got like a good air suction. There we go. And uh, this has to be one of the coolest pen cases I've ever seen. I mean, look at this like felt lining on the inside of the cardboard. Like what is this? So the, the box itself, the pen case, is a briefcase. How fitting. Very cool. I wish it had like a combination lock that you had to pick to get it open. That would be cool, but it doesn't have that. I'm loving the 007 logo in the top there. Very cool. Open this bad boy up. And though I mean, the presentation <laughs> is just unbelievable. So what you have going on here, it's a few things. So I got to explain a little bit. You got the pen itself. You got a couple of notebooks here, uh, polishing cloths and various accessories. The notebooks themselves, they look like some sort of like passports or like little international like documents or something like that. Um, so those are pretty cool, very much on theme. Uh, it's got a couple of bullets up here, which I'm going to explain what that's all about. It has your ink filler. It has a couple of bottles of ink, a uh, little sleeve there for the pen. And then under here, it's got some extra little accessories, which I'm not gonna open up because, you know, this is a pen that's for sale. Um, so I'm not gonna actually like ink or, or use this thing, but I'm just gonna at least show you what all the parts and pieces are. And then the, uh, the part that fits on for actually filling the ink thing, it looks like the, the barrel of a gun, which is pretty wild. Um, I believe what's in this little pouch here is some sort of mechanism to like fit onto the ink bottle to help fill it. I'm not 100% sure because it's inside a black plastic thing. All right, so let's show the pen. Let me show you what this thing's all about. It's big. It's a very large pen, very heavy. So, uh, you know, is this going to be an everyday carry pen? Could be, potentially, but it's very large. So... Looking at the overall design theming of it, I mean, the machining, the quality of it is fantastic. I mean, Monograppa makes really, really good stuff. 
I can only imagine <laughs> how many steps was involved in making this. Um, but it's, I believe, stainless steel here, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it's got rifling, just like you would have on the inside of the barrel of a gun. Um, and it's got a black resin here with some cross hatching, which feels nice. Uh, the cap comes off, just unscrews like so. And it has a very large number eight size gold nib with a special logo in there for the 60th anniversary of the 007. So while I haven't actually written with this pen, these number eight size nibs are fantastic. We've had them on one or two pens in the past and they write really great. Um, these are limited out of 380 pens. The one I'm holding in my hand is number two, which is pretty rad. Of course, it begs the question to me like, who got number 007, right? Like, I wanna know, but I obviously don't know. I'd be surprised if you even came to the US. All right, <clears throat> so grip is nice. Overall, like it's a heavy pen, but it still is really nice. Now, there's some interesting things going on here in the back too. So the, the pen unscrews back here and it's got a couple of interesting little parts. It's got this little doodad, which I'll explain what that's all about. And then this back part, these are actually cuff links that are removable and you can wear them. Uh, the way that you remove them is kind of interesting. So you have to press, there's like a, a fatter side and a, and a more tapered side. So you press on the fat side and this is kind of hard to do, especially to like show it on video, but you like, you gotta hold the pen, you gotta hold it pretty firmly and you press on the fat side and that pushes up the other cuff link. And then, are you able to get this at all? Yeah, 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 I'm okay. getting it. It's like so, so difficult for me to hold it in a way that I can show it to. There we go. And then it slides out just like so. So it's got, they designed some kind of custom mechanism to hold uh, this thing in here. And then the other one can then just slide right out. Now I will say, after having done this a couple of times to practice, believe it or not, this is me having practiced, uh, you have to put it back in that order, like fat side first and then thin side. For whatever reason, I don't know if it's just this particular pen or if, if what, um, the, the cufflinks have to be in this order, uh, but this cufflink has to go in to this side first. They look identical. I was just I, about to ask, there's no discernible difference? I, I was trying to look at it, I can't tell a difference. If I switch them and try to put it in the same way, I'm not able to get it in. Uh, I don't know if it's just a quirky thing, I'm sure the tolerances are pretty fine on there, but anyway. Once you get that out of there, uh, you've got cufflinks, which you can then wear on your shirt of choice. Uh, it's got 007 on there. And then also, I don't know if you can see it because it's really fine, but it's got your serial number engraved there on the flippy-doo part of the cufflink. That's yep, the, I got That's it. the official term there, the flippy-doo. Yeah, flippy-doo. Yeah, because I definitely have shirts that use cuffs. A Turnbull and Asser, no doubt. Uh, I don't even know what those words are, but okay. It's a Bond shirt. Uh, and then this extra little doodad that I set aside earlier, this then goes on to the back. So it's sort of like a, a little back finial there that looks like the cufflink. So if you wanna wear the cufflinks or just play with them or whatever, or just lighten up the weight of your pen, uh, you can take those, those out and put that back on and visually it looks identical. So pretty rad. All right. Now let's talk about filling yes. the pen. This is, so this is all really cool, right? Very gadgety. I wish I had like a Q British accent here so I could explain all this, but I don't and I won't even try because it will sound probably offensive somehow. But um, once you got the pen all situated here, you're kind of like, okay, well there's all that happening back there. 
How does the pen actually fill? Well, it's sort of a cartridge filling pen. Uh, so it unscrews, the grip unscrews here. And uh, you know, it's, if you're familiar with the cartridge converter pen, then you'll be familiar with, you know, what looks like just the back of a normal uh, stem that you would have for your cartridge pen. For this amount of money, Brian, a cartridge only pen, come well, on. I know, right? Um, but you know, we have these bullets here, right? These are not real bullets. They've got 007 engraved on them. They're very cool. But these are actually the ink cartridges. So they will hold your ink. I have no idea what volume of ink. I can't imagine it's all that much. I would say a, a small volume. But the pen is going to be so cool to fill that I think you'll want to fill it all the time. Uh, and that's where this guy comes in. So this is your bullet cartridge, whatever you want to call it, filler. So this is something Monograppa designed. I've never seen anything quite like this. Um, and it's very unique and interesting. So ink goes up here. And then this bottom part, it's got a nice knurled knob. The machining is just really nice. Like everything is very heavy. It fits together really nicely. Yeah, nothing feels insubstantial on this whole piece. Yeah, and this is all like very custom to this pen. So you have um, a stem on there, just like you would have on the back of the pen here. Well, that's where the bullet fits onto. So the way that you fill this pen once you have ink in here is you put the bullet onto that stem. You kind of fit it on there and then you press the bullet into there and it sort of injects the ink into the bullet. I don't know how many times it takes to do it because again, I haven't actually filled it or whatever, but that's the idea is you like pump the thing full and then you have your bullet that has your ink inside. And you can do it uh, by pressing the bullet onto a surface too, you know, nothing that would harm the bullet, you know, preferably something yeah. soft with a tablecloth or something yeah, like that. You, I'm but, just pressing it with my fingers here because I don't want to move it around too, too much. Um, and then I believe... But it does take a little bit of force. Like it's not a... It does, yeah. It's got to be done very intentionally. Um, and then I believe this part here, if you put this on the end, this goes down into your ink bottle. Mm. And it's got these openings here, which looks like, you know, some kind of like muzzle, whatever that thing is called. Just muzzle break. Muzzle break. There you go. Look at you knowing terms. <laughs> um, muzzle break that um, that actually is like sort of the filler holes. So when you want to fill this thing in your bottle, pretend that the bottle's here, uh, you press it down into there. And then that, that comes up this tube here. Uh, or you can actually just, if you want to fill directly into the thing, you can just unscrew the cap fill there with a syringe or whatever you've got. And uh, it feels like that. But they give you all the doodads and fancy contraptions to be able to make that happen. And it's got the engraving on it, just like the branding and everything is very, very um, classy. So they give you two bullets for whatever the incapacity is for these things. <laughs> uh, what I don't know is if you fill it, do you have to put it right in the pen and use it? Or can you fill it? Will it stay in there somehow? It looks like it's got some kind of maybe gasket in there. I I don't 100% know. So that would be something I would need to kind of test and fill out. But I yeah. imagine, you know. But again, we're not going to be. It's not going to be a deal putting, breaker. Putting you're... ink in all this because <laughs> this is going to be sold yeah, to somebody. Exactly. Uh, but that's the that's the basic idea of the pen. It is pretty wild. Absolutely. I've never seen anything <clears throat> like that filler before. Yeah, just all the, the, the contraptions. The, the fiddle factor is very, very high. And just the overall aesthetic 
the branding everywhere is just, it's so on point. Um, and I think they've done a pretty fantastic job. Um, I believe they have it in a couple of different nib sizes. I think this one is a medium, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I'm not 100% sure about that. We'll have more details on our website if you are so inclined. Um, another thing I forgot to mention, this has got the ebonite feed. That's one something that Monograppa does that not a lot of pen companies right. do. Um, they manufacture their own ebonite feeds, um, which is super nice. So this, this pen's going to write really, really well. What colors do we have here? I believe you've got a black and a red. I'm not 100% sure because I haven't like opened them up or swabbed them or anything like that. But uh, I think this is what you got. I can't, does this I can't have shimmer in it? I, I wish I could tell you, man. I don't know. But Look it seems that. like it's got something going on. It does. It's pretty cool. Look at that. It's got swirls. It's looking pretty good. It's full of stuff. I don't know, man. You just have to get one and find out. Yeah, we're not going to open it. Or, I'll, you know, I'll talk to Rachel and just be like, Rachel, I think we might have to just uh, keep one of these, you know, just because, like, uh, I need to know some of these answers and I can't... Uh, you know, I can't do that unless I keep one for myself. So Absolutely. You know, obviously with what I'm going to have to do, right? <laughs> uh, anyway, so the pen lists for $4,995, which, let's be real, it is a lot of money for a pen. But for a limited edition pen, this themed for a franchise too, which I'm sure just the licensing on a product like this, it can't be cheap. Um, Monograph has really done it justice. You know, we've seen a number of their limited edition pens in the past. You know, they've done things like the Moon Landing, yeah. Game of Thrones, you know, just other things like that. The Queen pen, just things that are very, very kind of custom, very specific to them. Uh, the fit and finish is amazing. We've toured their factory. We've gotten to see how they make stuff like this. And it is just out of this world. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a certainly a collectible worth considering if you're so inclined um, but even if you're not, it's just a really cool pen to see. And if you do end up getting one, do bring it back in one piece. <laughs> well, <laughs> well said, well said. All right, Drew, it's time for what's happening. Let's do it. What is happening? What is happening? What are you, what are you, you have, a, I have a lot more notes than you do. So I'm gonna let you set the pace here. All right, are we going to? Are we going into what's happening now? Or yeah. is it like what's happening then? Boop, 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 what's boop. happening is already happening. Oh my God, so it's we've happening already, now. Yeah, We're not going to boop, boop, boop. We've already done the boop, boop, boop. Okay. So Drew and I shot the other segment out of order because we had to, you know, get that pen out of our hands. Um, and so now we're like, well, we're shoot, I think we forgot to we're transition lost. at the end of All that right. pen segment. Maybe we did, maybe we didn't. And, okay, either way, whatever's, <laughs> whatever is happening has already happened. So Drew, what's happening in your world? Oh man. All right. Well, uh, today, let's just cover today. As we're filming this, it's Valentine's Day. It is. And this isn't news to you because you know about this um, because, you know, you're running some sort of pirate ship here. Um, pirate ship? A co-worker. Okay. Oh, ass assaulted me today. I see where you're going with this. Yeah. Assaulted you with love. No. No. So I come in. I was in the kitchen getting some coffee. Come back in. And there's a heart-shaped box of Ferrero Rocher on my desk. And I was taken I was shocked. Wow, look at this. I have a Valentine. Yeah. Somebody loves me. It really felt seen. Um, it even had a little window. I could see a little candy in there, mm. a little hazelnut bit of delight. Mm -hmm. I opened up the box. Um, I lifted it and saw that it was um, untaped. Hmm. And I was like, okay, well, someone, you know what? Someone probably was given this and they're not a hazelnut person. So they're like, you know what? Drew can. I don't understand. I don't know. I open it. How can you not be a hazelnut person? And uh, I love hazelnut. I open it and um, it was uh, 
I'll show you a video right here, by the way. Just watch that. Yeah, it's uh, there was dots in it. There oh, was dots. Someone a... put Valentine's Valentine's dots. dots in it. So they really they really put some thought into this. I mean, uh, this was an, this the was the a, word you're looking for is malice. This was a thoughtful act. Malicious. This was an act of a personal malice. act, uh, expression of. It was love. it was it was Adam. Adam also <laughs> being one of the masterminds behind the infamous dot invasion of my office. We don't know that for a fact. We don't no, know. Oh, I know. We don't know. Oh, no, we don't he, know who was responsible. No, he and for Jen it. both worked on it together. I can neither confirm nor deny. Yeah, no, I know who done it. So that happened this morning. So that just set the tone. <laughs> anyway, that was upsetting. And uh, I don't feel supported by my leadership team. They don't, I don't feel like it's, this is being taken seriously as the uh, act of... Wait, like openly being laughed at and mocked about it? Is that, that that's supportive a, to you? That's a part of it, yeah. Yeah, that's part of it. <laughs> anyway, that happened... I you can take the you can take the dots home. To I will say, yeah, Joseph and my, Ellie. My kids love dots, yeah, take it, so take it, I'm gonna be like here. a hero. That's going fine. Home. Get out of here. I don't want it. <laughs> anyway, uh, this weekend was my son's ninth birthday, Whoa. so he turned nine on Sunday. We had a party for him. We uh, had him and eleven, twelve of his friends over to the Defy trampoline park. That's a big um, group. Oh, that's yeah. right. You were gonna try jumping, right? I did. How'd it go? You're not, you don't have any casts on. No, but. Um, this doesn't feel good. <laughs> You're definitely feeling the age mm-hmm. a little that, bit. That hurts. That hurts. <laughs> that hurts. This yeah. was like several days ago you did it. This was Sunday, though. yeah. Okay, a couple days ago. Yeah, so. All right. All right. Um, yeah. I would probably uh, feel sore for two days it after was, a trampoline park. It was good, though. Uh, they had recently had a refurbishment done there. So they had slides that you had mats on, and it literally shot you airborne and landed you on a mat. They had inflatable obstacle courses. They had a zip line. They had swings that you, sw- you know, like a trapeze, you swung on and then just fell onto a big mat. Um, I'm just thinking about this as a business owner. I'm like, all I'm hearing is liability, liability, oh, Everybody liability, signs a waiver. Absolutely nightmare. Everybody you can still be a- sued. You can still be sued if you have waivers. Yeah. I'm just like, I mean, oh it's gosh. a franchise. So I'm sure they've probably got a pretty airtight system there. <laughs> probably, probably. But it all went well. Uh, we did the whole cupcake thing. So we didn't have to make a special interesting cake. We just did cupcakes. And I, um, you know, bought some little Teen Titans Go figures to put all in there. Not figures, little cardboard things on toothpicks. Mm-hmm, but he mm-hmm. wanted a Teen Titans Go themed birthday party. Okay. It's his favorite show right now. Watches it whenever he has the chance. Wow. And it's actually right. a really good show. Yeah. Um, it's really smart. I was listening to it the other day. And at first I'm like, all right, it's just a really goofy, very bright, weirdly animated show. And then I hear um, just sideways, one of the characters talking about how he got his first armpit hair. And he's like, I'm a man now. I need to go find my spirit animal. And they're talking about like, okay, well, hey, great. Let's find your spirit animal. You could have a dog or a wolf. It's like, oh, I want the wolf. Um, and the, another character's like, well, hold on now. You might not want to start right away with the wolf. If you start with a dog, you can transfer to the wolf later and it won't be nearly as expensive and you'll still end up at the same place. And then this, I'm hearing all these keywords and then it goes on and goes on. And then I realized this whole episode is about the benefits of community college. (laughs) Really? The whole thing. Wow. Yeah, that's what the dog is. The dog is community college, but then later you can transfer to the wolf (laughs) and save some money, but still get the same degree and like... It's, it, the whole thing is an analogy for community college. Wow. And then I, there's another one that like is 
about home equity, believe it or not. But it's done in a way that it's just making fun of stupid things. And But you can mm. tell the writers are like, really thoughtful about this. I don't know. It's the, it, the writers are like, there's a lot of parents out there. I don't know. That if, don't have their crap together. I that guess. can probably learn from this well, show. It's too. Funny because on the, the one about home equity was every time Robin, you know, Robin from Batman and Robin, right, right. Every time he wanted to teach his team about home equity, all they would hear was him just blah, blah. And to uh-huh. me, I'm like, I get that. I totally understand that. That's what, that's what I hear. And yeah. I have to try to understand home equity. Like, yeah. And so I'm really enjoying it quite a bit, actually. It's a really smart show. Nice. Um, so anyway, <laughs> Teen Titans birthday party. That went well. Um, he got a lot of Legos. We have our, our dining room table was clean for weeks. And we were so happy. And then now wow. it's just it's just covered in birthday crap now. Clean for weeks. I don't even understand what that oh, It was glorious, Brian. I don't understand what that means. It was glorious. Every day we'd walk in and look at it. It just had nothing on it. <sighs> we were so proud of ourselves. And then, now it's... It just reminded us of, you know, yeah. we flew too close to the sun. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So that happened. Um, <clears throat> been playing a lot of uh, Xbox 360, going back in time a little bit, playing Hey-o. Portal 2. Have you ever played that game? I've not, but I've heard of it. It is such a good game. It's a yeah. puzzle game for, for you know, lack of a better term. Uh, Ooh, like you puzzles. have a blue portal and an orange portal, and you just need to get to the end of whatever this level is. Okay. So you go in the blue portal, you come out the orange. And that's as simple as it is. But okay. there's... There's physics at play where, you know, there's height and force and um, velocity. Like if you jump from, you know, a certain distance and go into a portal, you'll come out of the other portal at that same velocity. Right, okay. So okay. you can time your jumps and your distance and how you eject out of certain portals so that you okay. can reach the goal. So it's the level design is really clever. Like you have to be a really smart person to yeah. develop puzzles. Um, I like I like those physics like driven games. Yeah, those it's really it's so much fun, and it's not yeah. available for PS4, which is crazy. One of the huh. reasons I went back to the 360 and had that modified, mm. but right. been playing that. And then uh, let's see, two days ago, no, yesterday, yesterday, I wake up in the morning, go outside, uh, on to take my kid to school, and there's mm-hmm. you know water droplets all over the windshield of the car. Right. And I turn on the windshield wiper to wipe off the droplets. Turns out those were not droplets at all. One of those mornings where it looks like they're droplets, but it's oh, just ice. Ice, yeah. And my driver's side windshield wiper just snapped in half and flung itself into the shrubs. <laughs> so oh my gosh. I have no driver's side windshield wiper now. Oh, um, that's not good. And I think it broke at a place where a replacement wiper isn't going to do it. I think I need like to the it. actual like wiper mechanism. Like no, no, broke? no. There's a, like there's, just the there's like a, the replaceable. Unit there, there's an, the there's an arm that's attached to the car, yeah, and, yeah, then, yeah. and then a joint. And oh, okay. I broke at the joint. Uh, okay. So I don't know. But I you didn't get a replacement like wiper blade. Yeah. No. Well, yeah. The blade's not the problem though. Like. Okay. The blade didn't break. The joint broke. Um. So I don't know if replacing. I need. I need to just pick pick some up anyway. Mm. Um. I I I worry that because it's basically just the little metal arm that's there now. Yeah. 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 Um. Yeah. You I, can buy a whole new blade that's got all the joints and everything. Oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 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 So I would need to do that. So yeah. that that's annoying. Okay. Um, the, you the, should do that soon because it's going to rain. I know, like in a day or two. I know. So. We're basically just acting like we have one car right now, um, except for today. Today there's zero chance of anything. So I'm saying you can solve this. This is a solvable problem. Go to like Advance Auto yeah. or AutoZone or something and just be like, I have this car. Yeah. Give me the thing I need. Uh, yeah. And I've, yeah, and I've yeah. replaced my blades plenty of times. I've just yeah. never needed to replace this part that snapped off. Gotcha. So I don't know if the standard blades come with this. You probably make like different 
models. Yeah, I need it's like replacing it's, it's like replacing your, the stuff in your toilet tank. Like you you want do you just need the flapper or do you need the whole thing? Like yeah, yeah I need the whole yeah. thing. Yeah. So that's dumb. Um, <laughs> yes, another it thing. happens. It happens. Yeah, my back windshield wiper has like no rubber on it i just don't use it anymore sounds like you need some wiper maintenance drew ah, this car just needs These to last very solvable problems. this car just needs to last a year and a half and then the other car is paid off you and can, you can get new wiper blades they're i know not that expensive, i know i know and it'll feel like I a know, new car I know, I know you might get three more years out of it you replace those blades it's got uh, two hundred and four thousand <laughs> miles on it now it's pretty solid yeah it's pretty solid getting there yeah anyway that's that's what's new with me all right yeah good stuff man yeah this and that uh this little little <laughs> bit of this little bit of that yeah um, well, Joseph, he, his birthday was a while ago, but we had COVID and then for whatever reason, just like trying to coordinate stuff for our kids to get together with their friends seems like it's like trying to coordinate like a D-Day invasion. It just is like to get our schedules to align is like such a monumental effort uh. with their friends. So it took, it took this long. I mean, his birthday was over three weeks ago, I think. Mm-hmm. And we finally... Had two friends over. That's oh. all we were trying to coordinate with two friends. And we finally were just able to coordinate that. Um, literally one of his friends lives like clear on the other side of the county. We've been talking with his mother for four months. Oh, my God. Trying to coordinate them having a get together. So, I mean, they see each other at school and stuff. And I was like, you know, we 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 had a very big county, you know, in our school. And we had friends that were like on the other side of the county and you were like, well, I'm just only going to see you at school. Yeah, like, no. We're never getting together because no. it's just too far. Um, but anyway, so <clears throat> it came over. It was super chill. So my son's 13 now, literally the entire time. They played a little bit with Lego and then just played Minecraft the rest of the time. All three of them. Is that a two-player game? Uh, you can do four-player yeah, on Minecraft. Yeah. Like split screen? Or? Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, so they were- Local sp- split screen. They were local oh, split screen. Oh, I love that. The, that brings back Switch, memories. On the Switch. And uh, yeah, they were just, it was, it was really funny because I haven't seen Joseph interact with his school friends Mm -hmm. because like it's middle school. Like I don't, you're like, especially with COVID and all this stuff, like parents aren't allowed in the school, like for almost anything, Um, unless you like, I guess, volunteer for certain things at the school. So I really don't get to see how he interacts with his school friends. What was that like? It was like he had clones. It was like. All three were Joseph's? All three of them. I was just like one of his friends, bless his heart he wore a full suit because he thought it would be funny. (laughs) Okay. And his dad was like, yeah, did he do the British accent? He was talking about doing a British accent too. And I was like, no, I didn't do a British accent. He must've bailed on that. That sounds like something my kid would do. Literally. I mean, I, I randomly would coordinate with my friends and dress up in high school. I remember that. Yeah. I thought it was a band thing. No, I literally just made it up. (laughs) I was, well, I like, I had a tuxedo and I was like, I'm going to wear this thing. I was like, how often do you get to wear a tuxedo? You did that a couple of times. Yeah, we just coordinated. I was like, like, yeah, Brian and his friends, they're they're band people. I guess they have a band thing. No, it wasn't just band people. Or chorus thing. I just assumed it was a chorus thing or a band thing. of Brian's friends thing. <laughs> it was just like, hey, we're going to do a random dress up day next Friday. Who's in? Like, girls, you got your prom dresses from last year? You want to get some more mileage out of it? We're doing a random dress up day. I love it. And we'd have like a dozen of us that would be in like full, full on <laughs> formal wear. So it's like, okay, I get it. And I was like, Joseph, he's uh, nice. so just like hearing all three of them talk and they're, I mean, they looked like, you know, you watch YouTube videos and stuff of like Minecrafters. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were like it was impressive. I don't, I don't do it a lot, but watching them navigate it, it was just like, they clearly have spent hundreds of hours. Artists. All of them. And watching three of them 
at once on the screen, I was just like, okay, I get, I get why they're friends. That's cool. But, That's so really cool. It was cool to see him sort of like in his element, right? Um, so that was pretty fun. And he was, you know, he was great. We got some like chocolate cake and all that kind of stuff. He was into it. Um, and then it was kind of fun on Sunday morning. It was super cold and very rainy and gross. And we lost power. So I, uh, I have to wear a CPAP machine because I have sleep apnea. So I woke up to essentially being strangled <gasps> by my machine because my machine cut off. So if you don't know anything about a CPAP, it forces air to keep you from basically choking to death while you sleep. Um, it sounds more dramatic than it is. But um, when it shuts off and you lose power, you now not only have air coming in, you can't breathe normally, but you now have this big mask on your face. So I kind of woke up being like, like <laughs> okay, something's wrong. God. And I was in immediate, I took the mask off and I was like, did we just lose power? Cause like the house was dead yeah. quiet. Like you can't no hear No fans or you anything. You don't realize like the ambient noise that you have with your air conditioner and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I was just like, okay. And it wasn't like a bad storm or anything, but you know, it was like freezing rain kind of a thing. And I was like, oh man, it could be like whatever. And so we checked and there were like a hundred thousand houses in the uh, area that had lost power. And it was like potential for like six or eight hours of power loss. And I was like, okay. It was like 30 some degrees. And I was like, I guess I'm going to go haul out the generator hey, and fire that thing up. Cause we're, we live in a rural area and we are on a well. So if we don't have power, we can't use the toilet yeah. more than like twice because there's no water. So like, you know. That's why I bought a generator, yeah. basically, so we can flush our toilets and so we don't like lose the food in our refrigerator. So I was like, all right, guess I'm waking up early after not being able to breathe, uh, going out into the freezing rain, hauling out the generator and firing that thing it? up. It wasn't, it wasn't that late. It was like 8.30 oh, or something okay. like that. But it's like, you know, I like to sleep in a oh, little sure, bit on the sure, weekends sure. when I can. But no, that didn't happen. It's like, here you wake up to being strangled. Now you get to go in the freezing rain. Even on the weekends, my dog wakes me out. up at 7.30. Another yeah. reason to not have a dog it's for you. A dog. Yeah, yeah. No, no. <laughs> I have a hamster and I don't do anything. Uh, I clean out the cage every now and then. Um, anyway, so that was kind of fun. Thankfully, power was restored relatively soon. But um, I got to figure out how completely nonsensical all of the circuit breakers in my house are. You know, like we have a, you know, one of like the the rooms that has like an electric like fireplace kind of thing that's on the circuit that's labeled disposal like for the garbage disposal mine too and so i was like oh so the disposal is what has the electric heater on it that makes sense so i was like great now i've discovered a electrical renaming process that i need to do all the names on mine are wrong too like (laughs) me too (laughs) it's like what's a family room right why did you label something family room i don't know what that is we got family room we've got living room right I'm, I'm like, I don't know what either of those is are. Is that in that this random house. front room? That, or is it the? It's like whatever the previous owner is. It labeled it. Yeah, oh my god, that makes sense. Yep, I had some of that. So that was fun. Um, yeah, I've been very busy working on. We were doing our annual development reviews. Oh yeah, taking a lot of time, and uh, so I'm spending a lot. So if I if I sound like I'm doing boring things, though, as I wrote it all out, I was like, I'm actually still doing plenty, but I'm spending a lot of extra time doing that. Um, I did get some shop time. I'm slowly finishing joseph's lego display case oh nice i haven't forgotten about it it's coming along i'm in the home stretch um i got to the point now i had an issue where he the way he the way he wanted to design this thing is very long it's like yeah, five yeah. feet long problem is when i glued like the wood the nice wood edges that we did on the plywood something about the way i clamped it or whatever it like bowed the oh whole thing. and i was just man. like and so I hit a roadblock with that for a couple of weeks and I was like, oh, I don't know how to get around this. So what I ended up doing 
Um, you know, and I tried to explain this to Rachel and she was just like, oh my gosh, I don't care. <laughs> like I couldn't even barely even get it out, but it was kind of cool. So if you have like a long flat board and you're trying to get it to straighten out, um, you make what are called relief cuts um, with what's called a, like a kerf. Um, so it's like the width of the saw blade is called the kerf. Yeah. So you just make like a whole bunch of like tiny little cuts yeah. all the way down the wood. And that allows it to flex, sort of like the teeth of a comb, yeah. how it can flex. Yeah, yeah, So I made, I've seen people do that with drywall. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Same concept. So just on the underside of his of his display yeah, case I'm sure thing. you've seen that viral video where it's like this guy from like the 60s doing all those hatchet cuts with the drywall. Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure, yeah. So I essentially did that. I made like 40 cuts down this whole board and it straightened right out. And it's beautiful now. The underside of it looks like, you know. Can you still see the cuts? Well, it's on the underside. Oh, on the other side. Okay, you know? awesome. What well, doesn't matter. Nice. So I was like, okay, I like sort of saved that. Nice. Does, um, is Joseph still helping you at all with this? No, he's I... long given up. Okay. Yeah. He's, <laughs> it was, it was, what's, what's frustrating about this project is like most of the case when it's done is going to be just clear plexiglass. Right. So like there's just as much woodwork like effort mm-hmm. involved but you're just working with these tiny little spindly pieces of wood. So it's like the overall like sense of satisfaction of having built it is not really there like you would have if it was like a substantial piece of furniture. But it's just as much time and work. Yeah. So it's kind of like, okay, he was like kind of losing steam. And I was like, all right, buddy, just don't worry about it. I'll, I'll keep going on. Nice. It, you know? So I've been, I've been kind of moving along. Once I'm I sure. get to the point where it's like glued up and we have to like sand I'm sure you expected that. Oh, 100%. Yeah. 100%. So anyway, it's moving along. And I did start cutting the plexiglass, which I had never done before, but it's not as hard as I thought. So um, yeah, I'm in the middle of doing that. So hopefully before too long, maybe another week or two, not committing to that firmly, uh, but we could have something to actually show for it. Um, what else have I done? Um, I made this little Lego minifigure display stand. Which is you said like, you were going to do that. Yeah. Because we were yeah, talking about the it. ones that they sell I at the, that store. I did it. I don't feel the best about how I was able to like inset the, the Legos down in there. I need to set them in a little further. But overall, in concept, it was pretty solid. Um, pretty solid. Nice. I'm thinking like I need to pull these images to show you as we're talking because we're going to overlay the images over top. But as I'm talking to you, you're just like, yeah. well, I'm we just going to trust. There's his display case. Oh, very, very nice. So it's like coming along. That's beautiful. Right? Yeah. And then it'll have Lego plates on it. And then the, um, uh, blah, blah, blah. Let me find the other thing. This is just thrilling content. We Especially for audio. Um, did I take a picture of this thing? Maybe I didn't even take a picture. Oh, well, that would make sense. Okay. Well, I remember you did. You took a picture of the one that we saw at Bricks and Minifigs, and you're like, "Yeah, I took a picture of that because yeah, I'm going to make it." I think I'm just because I was like, "I was like, oh yeah, I was thinking about buying one of those too." And Brian's like, "Nah, I'm not buying it. I'm going to make that." I am. I yeah. Am. In retrospect, like, just buy it. It's <laughs> way more effort to build it, but I wanted it to be like sentimental, whatever thing for my kids. <laughs> sentimental to you. They don't, even, they don't even care. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, basically, I basically just wanted to try it. And now I'm realizing like I'm, this might be the last one I make. Nice. Um, anyway, so that's happening. Yeah, then of course I forgot to take a picture of it. Um, and then I did build a, a, couple, a couple of plywood caddies, um, which, you know, I had, I had to help a friend build some cabinet doors because he has like, you know, a fireplace and then you have like, you know, like a built-in like sunken in area meant for like a TV or something yeah. above your fireplace. Yeah. But then you're like staring up into the stratosphere well, to that, watch your television. That's what we do. So he didn't want to do that. And plus the orientation of their room, that's not even where they have the TV. So he wanted to turn into like storage for board games and stuff. Mm-hmm. So he's building cabinet doors. Like he built shelving and wants to do cabinet doors. So we're like making raised panel cabinet doors from scratch nice. to fit this weird custom hole that he has. 
So I was working with him on doing that. Yeah, I don't have a hole, but I do have a TV mounted up there. Yeah, yeah. So just it's, it's like that. Just it was like a thing in like the yeah. you know two thousands where that yeah. was just what they were doing. Yeah, the, those house. holes were very common back then. So I, I built a ply. After doing all that, I was like, I need to manage my wood better. So I built myself a little plywood, oh, look at that. little plywood cart on wheels. Yeah. So that I can manage that because previously I just laid it up against the wall and it would like slide out and I trip over it and yeah. you know it was a total hazard. And then I built this other little caddy Did you for weld like that? little short cuts. No, it's all wood. It's all oh, wood. okay. Yeah. So I have this little like bin with all these different like you know oh like, nice you know, for all my little cutoffs and oh it's adorable little pieces that i can just oh and then i i bought a lego succulent nice i've seen so, those yeah i bought that and i've been those are working cool. on that too which is fun so yeah there you go my wood storage radical so just, just you know reining it in on my personal organization front um so that happened and then i took down a couple more trees which is maybe why my hands are so cut up. That's part of it. My hands right now look like I'm in a fight club or something. Yeah, when, I, when, I, like, when we were doing the James Bond video, gnarly. we got a couple of really good shots of your various wounds. Some of it, I don't know where it comes from. <laughs> I wear gloves when I work outside, so I actually don't think it's from that. It's I think just it's so just funny because other like, things. You're like out there hacking down trees, like, all right, let me let me like now display this, you know, four thousand dollar piece of it art. Is, <laughs> it is a pretty weird dichotomy that I operate in. But like my thumb, I cut because I was like trying to open the plastic like container that Joseph's birthday cake was in. That's what did you in? That's what did me in. Oh my goodness. Is I was like, it was, it was, it's round. So it like, doesn't want to like unsnap. Mm-hmm. The lid doesn't want to unsnap out of the thing. So I was trying to like unsnap it and then slide my thumb over oh, and do it again. Oh, you slid it. And, and I then, sliced oh, my thumb. Oh, oh. And it was just like, oh, yeah. it sounded like that lady that was stomping the grapes during that old video. Remember she falls <laughs> off the thing. She's like, Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> yep. Oh my God. That was um, so funny. Yeah. But I had, I, I had my first, experience where i cut down a tree it was a big tree and i sort of had like a domino effect where i cut the tree down and it hit another tree and uh there you go you can see it right there but it, oh it, it snapped it in half it snapped oh and that other tree was probably 16 inches in diameter oh man but like 20 feet up just snapped the tree right in half so now i was like well guess i'm taking down that one too wow has it that, has that ever happened tree, to you though. um no i've snapped never had it right no, I never had it where I mean I've had it with there's like other like saplings, like really small trees, yeah, and they'll like yeah, bend yeah. them over, like break branches off and stuff. I've never had another big tree just wow. like completely snap. And it's Dang. like this is why I'm taking some of these trees down because they're clearly just not like super strong and healthy. They're yeah. gonna come down anyway. So I'd rather do it in a more controlled manner. So yeah, anyway, that's what I've been up to. Plenty, plenty is the the answer there. Uh let's do some quick company updates and then uh, we'll wrap this sucker up. Right. Well, as Drew mentioned already, it's Ben Valentine's Day. It's weird because we're recording it on Valentine's Day, but no one's going to be thinking about it by the time. No one's going to care. No. Well, happy belated Valentine's Day yeah. to you all. Because I love you bunches. I don't think we mentioned anything about it last week, did we? Nah. <laughs> anyway, whatever. Happy belated. Um, we did get another video out, a Drew video on how to fill from an ink sample vial. Nothing exciting. Just a quick little rehash of a classic fountain pen one-on-one topic. It's good stuff. Though. Yeah. It's solid, solid content. Yeah. And then basically um, it just says tilt your sample vial while you fill it. The end. Oh, spoiler alert. <laughs> Jeez. Um, and then we do want to let you know that our office is going to be closed this coming Monday, February 20th, Ooh. because it's President's Day, oh. which is a thing, apparently. We'll celebrate some presidents. It's a thing in the US. A lot of places are closed and mail is closed. So we're like, yeah. This is one of our holidays. So we'll be closed, but we'll be shipping orders out and about out again on Tuesday. 
And that's all we got for this week. I got a fun fact, though, so don't go too far. Right. I didn't go anywhere. Thanks, Drew. Yeah, no problem, buddy. I'm glad. Um, I want to thank you all for watching. Please leave us some feedback. Let us know how we're doing. Ask us some questions so we can keep this whole thing going. Um, check out googlypens.com for more information about all these sweet pens and ink that we've been talking about. And like and subscribe to all of our various channels. And I have a fun fact. You ready for this? Yes. I literally Googled interesting. What did I Google? I think I Googled like interesting facts about everyday things or something like that. Oh. And I hit on an article from the Smithsonian that was very solid. I might have a couple of good weeks of PenCast fun facts that won't be like make your brain explode for oh, math and science. That does sound nice. Um, so did you know that the fork was once considered immoral, unhygienic, and a tool of the devil? Uh, in no. Fact, <laughs> in fact, the word fork is derived from the Latin furca, which means pitchfork. The first dining folks dining, the first dining forks were used by the ruling class in the Middle East and the Byzantine Empire. In 1004, Maria Agri, Agripolina, niece of the Byzantine emperors Basil II and Constantine VIII was married to the son of the Doge of Venice. She brought with her a little case of two-pronged golden forks, which she used at her wedding feast. The Venetians were shocked. And when Maria died three years later of the plague, St. Peter Damien proclaimed that it was God's punishment. And with that, St. Peter Damien closed the book on the fork in Europe for the next 400 years. What? Isn't that insane? Oh, what? isn't that crazy? God. History is weird, man. 400. 400 years. Because that years. one guy. Because. Getting all upset at a fork. I mean, you can have one guy have an opinion, but clearly it resonated. Yeah. Like they thought it was like the tool of the devil. Wow. Apparently. But chopsticks go back like 4,500 years prior to that. So, man. I mean, like that was like by far, or just like eating with your hands. That yeah, was like yeah, the yeah. way that everybody did it. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. Very interesting, right? You would never know. 400 years of... And now you're just like, ah, forks, whatever. Okay, yeah, there's forks everywhere. Like, what a big deal. But, like, yeah. can you imagine being, like, <laughs> excommunicated and just, like, completely, like, disparaged Jeez. for just, like, having a fork? I wonder, if you, I wonder if you ate with a pitchfork, if that would be okay. I don't know. Mm. Depends what you're eating, I guess. We have... <laughs> You'd have to eat something very large. Just a little side note. So my daughter loves to eat food with really small like utensils oh yeah like That's she, fun. she steals all of the like quarter teaspoon like measuring spoons and like all of like little little measuring spoons that's what she prefers to eat you know she'll eat like peas with the like the quarter teaspoon like a pea at a time <laughs> she likes that she likes to eat her ice cream with measuring spoons oh my god so i went and bought her like an actual silverware i guess they're like cocktail forks or like little shrimp forks. Uh -huh. or they're like this big. I love those. But it's only got like three little prongs on it. Mm -hmm. So she doesn't she, she doesn't call it a fork. She calls it a threek. A threek. That makes sense. Yeah. When I was a kid, <laughs> my grandmother would, if we, we would just like snack on dill pickle chips. And uh, just like she, sliced dill pickles. Yep. Okay. Um, Not she, like potato, because they make like dill potato chips now, like flavored. Oh, like no, pickles. no, 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 no. Just You're the, talking like, yeah, the slices. Like, yeah, yeah, okay. And she would yeah, give I'm them into that. She would give them to us just in a stack. And you remember how Crystal Light back in the 80s came in a plastic um, plastic container with a little foil peel off lid? Oh, heck yeah. So she'd put them in that. So we'd have a little, little stack of 
uh, little, pickle, little stack of pickle chips. And she had these little cocktail forks. And I only used them to eat pickles out of those little <laughs> crystal light things. That's so such it, a specific memory. It's the pickle fork. Um, wow. And it, uh, she, she still has, I think, one. So every time I go over her house and, you know, I'll be rummaging through drawers trying to find some forks for, you know, Archer's cake or whatever. I'm like, ah, it's the pickle fork. Oh, that's so great. Yeah, it's still around. I love those little, like, weird family yeah. things that we all have. Random pickle fork. Yep. That's pretty good. Still around. That's pretty good. There you go. There we go. On that note, don't use a fork or you might be spawning the devil um anyway it's been great spending time with you all this week uh we'll be back next week i think and uh you know right on that's what you need to do right on not, Bye. A, not a fork though <laughs>